Hello, everybody. Welcome to It Was Tuesday with your host, James Chen, a.k.a. Jay Chenzor. Uh, I just came back from Portland, Oregon, where we had the Classic Tetris Classic Tetris World Championships, uh, where I did commentary for that, and it was a very exhausting weekend. Uh, not because of the event necessarily, but because of my own insomnia. But uh, we are here, ready to go back for some more fighting game content. Uh, but in case, I mean, look, I, I just got to talk about the CTWC stuff for just a little bit. Uh, what, what's up? Uh, what is that? Guedalon? Welcome to the uh, chat, uh, catching the show live for the first time. Uh, but uh, basically, want to talk a little bit about CTWC. Of course, that is Classic Tetris World Championships, where we play uh, NES Tetris. NES Tetris at... Um, at, uh, uh, just like actually on the NES Tetris, uh, in Portland at the Portland Retro Gaming, uh, Expo. And, uh, it's been going on for quite some time now. I've been involved with the commentary since about 2017, uh, where they were looking for new Tetris commentators and I, uh, decided to audition and they were like, Whoa, what the heck? And found out that Tetris is basically my favorite game of all time. So, um... You know, Shay asks in the chat, why is it that specific version being played competitively? Because it is by far the most difficult version of Tetris that ex one of the most difficult versions of Tetris. So all the different versions of Tetris, whether it's Tetris NES, Tetris the Grandmaster, Puyo Puyo Tetris, or Tetris 99, uh, all versions of Tetris play very, very differently. So while a lot of most people will look at them and be like, they're the same game, that's like saying every Street Fighter is exactly the same, like Third Strike and Street Fighter 4 and Street Fighter 6 are clearly the same game. Yeah, and Tetris Effect, exactly. Uh, but that is simply just not the case. Um, every Tetris version is vastly different from each other. And the skills required to survive in NES Tetris are uh, by far the hardest in a version of Tetris that is still also competitively playable. Because obviously there are other versions of Tetris that are very difficult to be good at, but that's also because their controls are bad or their RNG is completely just whack, etc., etc. Uh, so uh, NES, oh, well, Kitaru is here. On so Kitaru, by the way, who won a uh, Lifetime Achievement Award at CTWC, he's basically the walking Tetris encyclopedia. So <laughs> shout-outs to Kitaru, a.k.a. Alex Kerr. Um, basically one of the uh, most knowledgeable people in the Tetris world uh, that there is. But yeah, um, a lot of them don't have the same survival score challenge aspect, right? So uh, I've often said to people who don't understand, on Tetris DS, for example, if I played marathon mode, I literally can survive forever. And in fact, anybody who has any form of Tetris talent who is anywhere worth their salt can survive forever on Tetris DS. You will literally never top out. 
And that just wasn't the case for NES Tetris until literally last year. And which is why a rule had to be changed for this year uh, at CTWC, introducing the super kill screen by uh, actually hacking the ROM uh, a little bit for that. So uh, are Tetris people good at Super Puzzle Fighter? Not necessarily. Tetris is a very unique puzzle game. Uh, a lot of other puzzle games, such as Puyo Puyo, such as Puzzle Fighter, etc., etc., are less about um, are less about this kind of Zen mindset and more of like this constant, like absolute planning, planning, planning. Tetris is more about reaction and just kind of flow and maintenance. You know, uh, for stuff like Puzzle Fighter, you're trying to build chains, etc., etc. Very, very different kind of mindsets, basically. So, uh, so they're very, very different styles. For example, I love Tetris. I'm very good at Tetris. I am ass at Puyo Puyo. <laughs> I am not very good at Super Puzzle Fighter either. Uh, they take very, very different mindsets to play. <clears throat> Um, yeah, 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 they definitely run some puzzle fight. I mean, honestly, I feel like we should start, you know, well, this is a conversation for another time, but like, I feel like CTWC should even start just like having main events with a bunch of other puzzle games, you know, uh, kind of maybe try to turn into an Evo for puzzle games. I think it would be pretty sick. But the thing about it is, uh, Tetris, what's interesting is that NES Tetris, since, 2017 when I first started getting into commentary really kind of went into a renaissance when Joseph uh, a young kid who really was super good at hyper tapping ended up beating the seven time world champion Jonas who was basically the best player uh, the best Daz player of all time I'll explain these terms in a second uh, jo Joseph then kind of brought in a whole new school of players because he was so young and a bunch of other young players were like, hey, maybe I can get into this. And then thanks to uh, a player named Cheese, uh, they discovered an even newer tech called Rolling. And what Rolling did was really just kind of bust the door open. So before, NES Tetris is played in such a way and the game is designed in such a way that once it got to certain speeds, it was really, really hard to survive. And in fact, for Daz players, it was almost impossible to survive uh, because it was just too fast. And the technique they used literally just couldn't survive once it got to level 29s. Thus, it was called the kill screen. Once the uh, advent of the hyper-tappers came in, and there were hyper-tappers before, such as Corian from Japan, but Joseph was the greatest hyper-tapper to show up and was able to take down Jonas and win two years back-to-back, -back. and um, he, he kind of ushered in a whole new era. And then now, interestingly enough, a new technique has been discovered called rolling, which has really... Um, really uh, changed the face of classic Tetris again. And now all of a sudden all the players are have to learn rolling and hyper tapping has almost become irrelevant. And uh, I mean, uh, Shay, what, the one year Alexei Pajitnov actually visited the CTWC, he actually watched it and said that he did not believe Tetris could be played like that with only one preview piece with the instant, you know, sticking of the pieces as soon as they touch down, etc., etc. And he said, I was proven wrong. And now I see that Tetris has the potential to be the greatest esport in the world. So 
very, very cool. Uh, you know, so even Alexei Pajitnov's uh, eyes were changed uh, by that. And is that Chris Higgins? Or is, I see Higgins in there. I don't know if that's actually uh, Chris there. The reason I love Chris uh, Classic Tetris as a competitive sport is there's no garbage sending. The players do not hurt each other via gameplay. Uh, it is about individual achievement. Right. So there's, it's really just the, oh, okay, what's up, Chris? <laughs> uh, it's really just about trying to outperform the other person. It's not direct competition. And, and trust me, all this Tetris talk is going to go straight into the fighting game talk because it is something that I had a conversation with some people, including uh, Kitaro. I think I talked to him a little about a little bit about it. So just to give the proper background to everybody here, what all the different techniques is, Daz was the ability to slide pieces left and right using the in-game uh, delayed auto, uh, I forgot what the S stands for. Uh, uh, basically, when you hold left or right, you hear the piece go, delayed auto shift. Thank you, Kataru. See, there you go. This is why he's in the chat here. Thank you. Um, basically, if you hold right on the controller, you hear the piece go, boop. It's just like if you hit a key on your keyboard, it goes S. S, you know, like it has that little delay and then it starts doing the auto shift. So that's what that means. Delayed auto shift. Um, so basically what people have found out is that like if you hold right, the piece will come in and go beep. And then as soon as it drops, but if you keep holding right, the next piece comes in right away. It, it maintains the faster shift, right? And then people started discovering you could actually go left or right, maintaining that auto shift as long as you let go of the controller and never tap left, right, or, or left or right again. So if I wanted to move the piece three three columns, I would hold it and let it go three columns, let go, let that piece touch down. And as soon as it touched down, I could hit left or right and that speed would be maintained. And the next piece would come in without that initial beep, 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 beep. It would just come in and go beep, 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 beep right away. And that's kind of what Daz, uh, was what Daz kind of uh, allowed players to do. So there was this extreme skill of learning how to stop the piece at the right column, to engage left or right, at, right after it touched down at the perfect timing so the next piece could get it. And if you ever lost fast Daz, uh, there were techniques to regain it and such. And so that was kind of the skill that was required. However, the in-game speed literally just wasn't fast enough. So by the time we got to level 29 speeds, which was the last time the speed increased uh, in NES Tetris. So from 19 to 29, it's the same speed. And then from 29 on forever, it's one speed. But the problem was the pieces moved so dropped so fast that if you built to a certain height, you literally couldn't get an eyepiece to the right anymore. And so basically it was really, really hard for Daz players to survive. And so hyper tappers came along and what hyper tapping is, is literally hit the button, hit left and right as fast as you humanly can. And you can just do it faster than the actual game uh, does on the uh, on the repeater, basically on Daz. So if the Daz was hyper tappers go, they could actually hit it faster. So uh, they could actually just hit left or right faster. The problem was that like a lot of people had to play in these really uncomfortable hand positions and stuff to do hyper tapping, even to the point where Joseph you know, the two-time champion was saying that he was hurting his wrist a lot uh, doing that. 
And there was a player named Cheese uh, who was a hyper-tapper. And I have a really funny feeling he probably learned hyper-tapping in a certain way and then started realizing he was kind of shifting into this other technique and he developed something called rolling. And so what basically, so yeah, so there you say, Kitaro says Daz is 10 moves per second, basically. So if you can go faster than that, you can actually do 10 moves. Uh, you can actually do 11 to 12 to 13 moves per second to the point where someone like Joseph would actually get to level 35. Like he could survive to level 35 much farther past the kill screen. And I think some hyper tappers even made it to level 40. If, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Kataru can actually confirm that what the record for hyper tappers were. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, and that was one thing too. He's like, he said maybe 18 to 20 movements for particularly genetically gifted. Yeah, that was one of the hardest things about hyper tappers that it required you to, to, to be just so fast, right? Um, so for me, uh, I mean, not for me, but Cheese discovered a new technique. So basically the NES pad is designed in such a way that left and right are particularly difficult to press. If you've actually used an NES pad before, the D-pad is kind of squishy, right? And so there's this technique, a very track and field technique, uh, and for a lot of people they've learned techniques where they roll their finger on a single button. So for example, on a regular controller, if I wanted to rapid tap, I roll my fingers like this. And if I learn to tap it really fast, basically I get to hit the buttons as fast as pot, like super fast between three fingers. This was a technique learned from a lot of people uh, who played like Samurai Showdown when weapons clashed and for track and field and for other games that required that. Now, Again, the NES pad is just too squishy to actually do that on. There's no way to roll your hand on it so that you could actually consistently press the button that fast. And so what someone discovered was that if I held my thumb, and some people play with the controller upside down now, by the way, but if I held my thumb basically like, uh, here, uh, I'll just use, th I'll use this as an example here. If I held my thumb so that I barely press that, so I'm barely not pushing down on the controller. The reason why I'm using my phone is because uh, it's the right shape for this. So just pick, don't ignore my cami wallpaper over here. But what they've learned to do is as long as they hold the button barely, so that they barely press it, instead of having to roll on the D-pad or roll on the D-pad on whichever side they put the controller on, they have learned to actually like uh, like put this controller on their leg, hold down like this on left or right, and what they've learned to do is to tap the back of the controller like this. And so what this does is because they're barely pressing the button down, when they tap the controller, the controller gets pushed into their thumb essentially. And so they are actually getting the rolling technique by tapping the back of the controller. So basically, if they just needed to slide it three columns, they would use three fingers. Four columns, they would use four. And for five, some people learn to use their thumb, but then some people would have to do an extra tap with their thumb on there. So they would learn one, two, three, four, tap. You know, there's like a five tap trick basically there. 
another very uncommon method is also roll fingers on top of the thumb finger that oh really some people actually do that like roll on their thumb that's crazy <laughs> but um uh i mean it's not that it only works on nes pads is that on nes pads this is by far the fastest way to press left or right at a consistent rhythm so that you can move the pieces faster than any other technique, including hyper-tapping. And so nowadays, we are basically at the point where rollers have just ba just are basically dominating the game. And in fact, many previous hyper-tappers have had to move on to rolling. So, you know, guys like Huffleupagus and uh, Dog Plays Tetris and Pixel Andy, uh, et cetera, et cetera, all of them have had to move to learn how to roll to be able to keep up with all the new crop of rollers that are coming out here. And this year's champion, Fractal, is, I mean, he's basically one of the best at this point. Because, uh, uh, I mean, dude, last year, second place, this year, first place. I mean, Jesus, that is a, that is a, that is a back to back right there. Um, so what's happened now is that everybody has learned to play in this rolling technique here. And so what this has allowed people to do is to survive infinitely once you get to speed 29. So what used to be the kill screen was no longer the kill screen as evidenced last year by, I think, I, was it Fractal who chased Eric down? Was it Eric who chased Fractal down, uh, Kitaru? I, I can't remember. But it was a game that lasted literally like 15 to 20 minutes because one player got such a big lead and then topped out and then the other player because you can't, they're, they're fast enough that they can survive forever at level 29 speeds. They just basically rolled their, and got singles, single, 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 until they caught up all the points that they needed to do. And it was literally everyone just sitting there watching him roll with singles his way to win. <laughs> it was a 20 minute, 2 million point game for both players. Yeah, exactly. And so... Uh, oh, it was Eric who did the chase down last year. There you go. Thank you. Thanks, Higgins. Um, so, yeah, an oath uh, confirms Eric chased Fractal. And so, basically, what happened was the original concept of classic Tetris was all about Tetris efficiency. You know, there was a stat on the screen for the Tetris rate. And all it did was just basically keep track of how many lines burned were contributed to Tetrises as opposed to triples, doubles, and singles. And the best players, the players who would win, would have the highest Tetris rates because level 29 was a limit. You had to get as many points as you can before 29 or else you would just die. And now, because of rolling, it was about survival less than about Tetris rate. And it really changed the way that classic Tetris uh, World Championships felt. And so uh, this year, they added a new rule where they've hacked the ROM cart so that at level 39, there's actually another speed increase. At level 29, the blocks drop one row per frame basically is it one row per frame i think it is actually uh but uh at level 39 now it's been hacked so it drops two rows 
per frame, which is absolutely crazy. Yeah, so Stunt actually, uh, Stunting since 80s says, I watched the grand final yesterday, man, those two were nuts, but the Asian kid was having so much player fun. Yeah, no, I, I mean, honestly, uh, so 1G at 29, 2G at 39. So yeah, that's basically how it works. And so it brought back the, uh, the Tetris rate. The Tetris rate was king again. And that's what made it feel so so classic style uh, like previous years. So honestly, this year's CTWC is, was one of the greatest CTWCs because we got to see that skill on display. At the same time, we got to preserve the classic mentality of scoring enough points before the now super kill screen, which is where basically people can't really survive. So... Yeah, yeah. No, I remember Kitara because after last year, I was even talking to people like I was talking to Sharky about it. And Sharky's like, no, you can't do what we got. And it was really, really interesting. Yeah. And CTWC 2022, we let them rock because we knew we had to have it happen. We needed a chase down like that to happen so that we can justify changing the rules is what it was. Is any of this approved by Nintendo? No. Nintendo has no idea about, like, what the hell is going on uh, <laughs> at this point of time. Uh, but, yeah, Kitaro says a lot of discussion in the online tournament scene, decide how to handle the line cap or extra speed up, etc., etc. Um, the competition cards use a Game Genie-like technology. Yep. So, um, <laughs> and Game Genie is okay by a really old court case. Interesting. Okay, that I did not know, Kitaro. That's actually really cool. Is there a benefit to dropping Tetraminos faster than the opponent? Only that you build up small bits of score for every call, every row that you drop it. But in the long run, it really makes absolutely no difference. Because it really is how many Tetrises you can get before level 39. It's about the Tetris rate. So the speed very has basically no uh, benefit. So there's no reason to play faster than the opponent. Except maybe... Actually, there's more of a benefit to play slower than the opponent because if you play slower than the opponent, you can also listen to the commentators or even, you know, screen glance, basically. And if you see that your opponent is hitting a drought, you know that you have a drought coming up as well, you know? Or if you hear the commentators, oh my gosh, Blah's in a drought. And you're like, I haven't hit that drought yet. The other guy must be ahead of me. Here comes a drought. Let me play safely. So there are some advantages to playing behind the opponent, uh, honestly. Uh, Tetris Company. It's the Tetris Company is the best way to <laughs> say it. So uh, in the competition format, you usually want to stay around the same pace so they can't get read on your piece set. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, so basically what happened then, so this year is we had probably at least the greatest match I've ever seen. Fractal said that there was another match that happened at another tournament where he said was probably the greatest match ever. Uh, I'm sure he was trying to be a little humble, but uh, this grand finals this last year was amazing, ridiculous. And the rolling technique is basically clearly the most powerful technique. And so... I was having conversations with other guys out there and this is where the conversation started to move towards kind of this concept of FGC and where I'm talking about here with the legacy skills. Forgot to change my topic over here. So I've been talking about this this whole entire time. <laughs> so what's interesting about this was that 
the reason why CTWC limited players to only official NES pads was because clearly other controllers would have a huge advantage over the NES pad. For example, if someone built a hitbox for the NES, they would have been able to do rolling a long time ago. So they would have had a huge advantage uh, over players using the NES pad. So for the longest of time, it was the, only the uh, NES pad, the goofy foot, the dog, bone, the dog bone NES pad. Was the NES advantage actually legal? Because I'm sure the NES advantage would be like horrible control for actually playing <laughs> classic Tetris. But I wonder if the NES Advantage was actually, or the NES Max was, could somebody play on the Power Glove if they wanted to? Uh, but uh, basically the way it worked was that, you know, it was restricted to the NES controller. I was having a conversation because, you know, as a person who plays a lot of fighting games and we've had to deal with a lot of, uh, oh yeah, SODC, SOCD stuff, yes. So, you know, as a person who has gone through the FGC and we have the hitbox and we have the cross-up and I brought up, you know, Tekken, Electric Wing, God Fists on the cross-up become negligible to perform. Even on the hitbox, Electric Wing, God Fists are super easy to perform compared to joysticks. The reason why Electric Wing, God Fists are hard to perform on a joystick is because there's no precise, accurate way for any of us to know when we actually click the cherry switch so that we're actually get to diagonal, right? It's literally a, an analog lever that we're moving. And the very first frame that you have both cherry switches clicked on a joystick is the exact moment you have to press a button. It was frame perfect. So you have, but because you're using a joystick, it was hard to be that precise. Now, obviously some players practice enough so that they got to the point where they could electric pretty consistently. But, uh, you know, I rigged up or I had a cross up and I'm just doing electric, 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 electric. Like it's just, you, you it becomes a non-issue, right? It literally becomes a non-issue. So, uh, I started talking to people about this. I've talked to Sharky about it. I started talking to people at the tournament. I was like, you know, now that rolling has kind of proven that we have a technique to be as fast as humanly possible and we could survive forever on level 29. You know, my argument was the reason for us maintaining the NES pad is dead, right? Like, I feel like that, we don't need to maintain that rule anymore and that people should be able to just use whatever controller they want now because uh, obviously there's some awkward things. You got to hold a, a controller upside. Some people hold it upside down. You have to have your hand at a particular tensile strength. Now, obviously, it's still not as bad as hyper tapping, which was really damaging to the, to the hands and carpal tunnels and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, rolling could cause that a little bit because a lot of the players have to stiff their hand in just a way so that it's at just the right strength etc so uh i keep saying to myself right now is just like why not just allow all controllers and if that's the case 
why not just start playing on Tetris Effect? Because Tetris Effect has a classic Tetris emulation on there uh, where they've tried their best. It's not exactly the, it's not super perfect accurate right now, I've heard, but I've heard it's pretty dang accurate. I've heard one player say it's not quite the same. Uh, Fractal says it feels like it's exactly the same. In fact, he said he practiced on uh, Tetris Effect Connected's uh, version as well. <laughs> But yeah, so like Mike Lee says, a lot of those kids are ruining their hands. And as someone who's messed up hands and wrists, forcing strange techniques as the skill cap is bad. Uh, why not make separate categories based on controllers? I mean, my point being was that, yeah, maybe we needed to in the past. But because we have this situation now where the rollers have basically proven that if you practice this technique enough, there's probably no advantage of a hitbox over rolling. You know, I would argue that they would be of equal skill and uh, equal levels, right? And so this is where the conversation started going here with uh, someone that I was talking to at CTWC. If we opened up the controller um, so that you could do anything you wanted on it, the real question comes down to, is that kind of disrespectful? <laughs> to all the people who have been spending so much time learning rolling. Like I talked to Huffalufagus. Huff is uh, one of the best hyper tappers. And during the, before the rolling age of rolling started showing up, Huff was one of the best hyper tappers, right? And the first off online CTWC, I think Huff got second place, I think, uh, to, or was that the second one that he got second place? One year it was Andy who got second. Another year it was Huff that got second. But Huff was one of the best uh, hyper tappers, and he had to learn rolling. And I asked him, uh, how long did it take him to learn rolling? And he says it took him like six months to learn, like seven months to learn. He had to play a whole bunch. Like he had to really put in the work to learn rolling so that like, he could keep up. If we suddenly allowed new different kind of controllers, of course, making sure that there's no turbo or any sort of crazy things, you know, like extra rubber bands or whatever that makes it actually easier to use than just pressing a single button. Is that disrespectful to the people who spent all the time rolling? And the analog to this has been a conversation that I've had with Tekken players. Um is uh, Electric Wing Godfist, which is why I keep bringing it up, which is why it was in my uh, preview picture. Although it was a Street Fighter Cross Tekken picture, I know, but it's just, it was a cool angle of the electric, so it just looked neat. Anyways, but <laughs> in any case, you know, because the modern controllers, like Hitbox, like CrossUp, have made Electric Wing Godfist basically whatever like especially the cross-up controller and i've always heard different things on whether cross-up is banned for tekken or not is anybody here a uh, necromancy black is here is the cross-up actually banned is it actually banned uh right but it wasn't a skill that depended on messing up your hands but sure enough guys like uh like kudans and all these so it is legal okay so like let's uh right now a bunch of them complain that tekken 8 is making sidesteps powerful again well regardless let's 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 address this right so the electric wing god fist is uh super easy to do on these controllers and certain people have actually been 
practicing electric wing godfish, like literally for years to get to the point where they're consistent and they have to use their exact controller because every controller is going to have a different give on when you're actually hitting the left, right, the left and right cherry switches when you go forward, neutral, down, and then when you move to the diagonal, the very moment you click that cherry switch on the joystick is where you hit the button. And you know, a lot of players play on pad these days, which makes it a little bit easier, but for those guys who have put in literal years of practice of just sitting there doing EGWF over and over and over, EWGF over and over and over and over again, you know, I argued that we should change the way the electric wing godfist should be performed so that it has to be exactly two frames after you hit left or something like that and make it come out two frames faster so that basically uh, it's kind of mimicking a little the same thing. I mean, obviously, I don't know Tekken well enough to be able to perfectly get the frame data exactly right and stuff like that. But the idea was that if you made it so that you had to hit the button exactly two frames after you hit left or right trying to perform an electric, now suddenly it doesn't matter what controller you use. That timing of the perfect two frames is something that you just have to learn inherently in your, in your core soul regardless if you're a hitbox or a cross-up or whatever like that. It's something that everybody has to practice. But the problem now is that you've ruined everybody else who has practiced uh, EWGFs their whole entire lives. Like you've literally just taken away this skill that they developed and it's a legit skill for the game because it's never changed and it is something that has been maintained forever. You have basically just murdered years and years and years of training <laughs> to uh, for these players who have learned it, right? And right, exactly like Forrest says, making it easier also might make it OP as well. Hey, thank you for all the subs. Uh, Gizergen with the sub over there. Fanta7686 uh, with the sub. We actually hit a hype train over here. Uh, I also saw another sub earlier, but thank you guys for all the subs over here. Uh, appreciate it very, very much. And Lurker Spine with the 300 bits. Thank you, thank you. And right. And so, yeah, so Mike Lee says, yeah, same could be said about Street Fighter charge times. Exactly. And Shaq the Great says that's gatekeeping in the end, right? Uh, but charge times, yeah, they're, they're charge times, a charge time. I mean, like, it's kind of crazy, but like, I mean, would it be wrong if, uh, yeah, it would be wrong because it's information for the opponent as well. But I, God, Street Fighter training mode needs to add the charge timer to the screen, to the training mode screen. Honestly, it really does. They just need to be able to see the charge time bar in training mode so people can learn how to charge properly. I think that would be super, super useful. Uh, but the point being is that, you know, we are, are we hurting these legacy players? And is it fair to hurt these legacy players? Let's take a look at a game that has actually done this, right? We actually have a game out there that has done this and that's Guilty Gear Strive. So Guilty Gear up to Exert has been, like Tekken, a very heavy legacy-based game. Techniques discovered in one version of the game are normally maintained regardless of whether they are a bug or not in future versions of the game. 
even a game like Exert, where uh, you know only a few characters needed to use jump installs, jump installs uh, had been maintained since Guilty Gear X, where it was kind of discovered and was a glitch, but they've left it the entire time. In fact, they did so even with Chip and Faust and their uh, their faultless defense canceling. So. Uh, for you, you could always plink faultless defense, and so Faust, for example, could jump, and if you did 2K down and kick, he would do the little scalpel drill. However, if you held down back and plinked kick, or it was like you plinked kick into another button, what it would do is it would start the, uh, the, the, the down 2 plus K, and then literally one frame later, carrot cancel it into the faultless defense, but what that would do is make Faust basically jump into the air, f just flash green for that one frame that you faultless defense, and he would start dropping because the 2K changed his momentum. So he had instant overheads when he would jump, do the faultless defense cancel trick, and then jump, jump kick. And he could combo you, basically give himself a bunch of short hops. Chip could do it while running forward and jumping, and then use his down kick, which drilled straight down. So it looked like he was about to cross you up, but then he would do the same trick, and then he would end up falling in front. So he could create a left-right mix-up uh, in that situation. So... Um, Oh, right, all right, so Kraken. So it wasn't that they added moves with auto jump install properties. It's just that what they did was certain moves put you in a jump state. That's the way jump install works. The game gets tricked into thinking you're in a jump state so that when you actually uh, Roman cancel it, you get a double jump. Uh, if some moves, when performed off the ground, don't put you in a jump state, so when you Roman canceled it, you weren't considered jumping, so you had no double jump available to you. So in jump install, for example, if you hit with kick and then hit up, the game was like, you're jumping, so let's put you in the jump state, but then you Gatling that button into another button, the game was like, oh wait, never mind, I'm gonna Gatling. Gatling has higher priority than jump canceling. But the game already puts you into the jump state. So when you did one of those moves where you were literally considered grounded, now you installed a jump state into the move so that now when you Roman canceled it, you could double jump. So that's basically kind of how that worked over there. Um, so uh, Strive took all that away. There's no jump installs in Strive anymore. And Faust and Chip cannot Kara cancel their 2Ks anymore into the faultless defense. I mean, I think they can, but I don't think it actually does anything to their momentum, for example. I think it just uh, does whatever it needs to. <laughs> One minute left for the hype trade. No, there's only 10 seconds left. Anyways, um, so basically they took that skill away and a lot of people got mad. A lot of people got mad and a lot of people were like, you know what? I don't like they've taken the skill away from Guilty Gear. There was all these cool techniques. Why would you change this? And, you know, Daisuke's mentality at this point was I don't want to make a legacy Guilty Gear anymore. I want to make a new Guilty Gear that everybody has to learn together so that I can bring in newer players and stuff. It was a risky decision from Daisuke because clearly there are a lot of Exert heads out there who hate Strive. Like they just passionately hate Strive and think Strive is the most skillless 
game in the entire existence, <laughs> right? Like I have literally talked to people that I was like, well, Strive did good things. And they're like, name one good thing Strive did. And I'm like, holy crap, you know? <laughs> and so it's a big risk to take to take away these kind of legacy things. Now, Street Fighter has managed to avoid this because we got Alpha 1 right away, and that just, oh boy, oh boy. If anybody out there ever says, hey, this game was dumbed down, look at Strive, it's so dumbed down, may I introduce you to Street Fighter Alpha 1? <laughs> Okay, back then we didn't understand the concept of dumbed down, so we didn't really call it out for that. But now in retrospect, when you look at Street Fighter Alpha 1, that is about the most exaggerated instance of a dumbed down fighting game in a new series in the history of fighting games. Alpha 1 added an easy mode, which let you auto block. Uh, they added chain combos, they added air blocking, they added alpha counters so that you didn't get pressured. They added, I said air blocking already, I think. Uh, dude, that game was made so that you could roll when you got knocked down so you didn't have to worry about Oki anymore. Like, they tried to do everything in their power to make sure that this game was easy for beginners. And so... Uh, Anyways, I'm getting off topic talking about Alpha 1 here. Strive, you know, there's a lot of people who think Strive is very dumbed down, but, you know, you talk to the people who enjoy Strive, the top players, there's nothing simple about Strive. And, you know, like for a game that supposedly is supposed to be beginner friendly, you know, they added Happy Chaos and then they added, ah, sorry, and then they added Asuka. <laughs> and then they added Asuka. <laughs> okay. Like, you put Asuka in any fighting game, there is nothing simplistic about this character at all. He is probably the most complicated fighting game character that I have ever seen in my life, right? I mean, uh, it takes like a freaking, like we used to joke Guilty Gear takes a PhD to learn. Asuka himself takes a PhD to learn by himself. Like literally the character by himself. Uh, is ridiculous to learn and if you don't study what he does it's really hard to fight him too otherwise you're just like i'm blocking cubes <laughs> i have no idea what's happening what he teleported when can he do that you know like if you don't study asuka he's just basically gonna murder you basically and so you know a lot of uh there's a lot of complexity in strive so no game is not dumbed down it's not simplified have they tried to make it a little bit more approachable as someone said in the chat earlier strive is probably the most financially successful guilty gear at least in the na regions and had the most entrance ever of any guilty gear game at evo topping 2000 and even this year this past year where guilty gear was its second year actually increased in the number of entrants who played in there now obviously you know people are going to say well street fighter 7000 players brought in a lot more people so a lot more people signed up for strive while they were there true doesn't matter. Numbers went up. Strive, very, very popular. <laughs> it's very, very popular. And so uh, as a result, was Daisuke wrong? Was Daisuke wrong for this, right? And now we're getting to a situation where Tekken 
you know, they really are changing the game a lot. Not necessarily changing the electric wing god fist, but aggression, yeah, the name of the game for, for Tekken 8. A lot of people are mad. <laughs> a lot of people are really mad at this, uh, at this heat mechanic right now. And so there is this idea here, you know, that we've been talking about, you know, for, you know, for example, do we just allow any controllers for CTWC so someone can mod their own hitbox that works on the NES so that they can actually just play rolling easily on the controller without having to learn some crazy thing where they have to hold their controller upside down and take six months to learn this technique. Like I want to try to learn rolling, but I don't have the time to, to put in there. But if I tried to learn rolling on a hitbox on the NES, I might actually be able to do that. Right? So do we want to preserve that kind of thing? Do we want to preserve the electric wing God fist, the electric wind God fist with the perfect frame timing at the buttons at the same time when some controllers bypass that difficulty completely. Uh, well, right, rolling on a button is also still not trivial. I don't want to make it sound like anybody can just roll on a button. It's like super easy. Clearly, it's still very difficult and needs a lot of practice, but it's going to still be a lot easier to practice on that than it is on, uh, on, um, uh, on an NES pad. <laughs> Because uh, the one thing about rolling is the timing required for you to start the rolling is really hard. And I can't believe all the players have been able to do that consistently piece after piece after piece, dude. It's ridiculous. You have like less than a second to have that window of when you start your roll to start moving the piece as soon as it shows up into the screen. So, um... The reason why uh, it's an issue, if it's still a hard technique, Shaq the Great, uh, for rolling, is just because we want to open it up to as many people as possible. That's just really what it comes down to, right? Uh, and we also want to make it so that maybe you don't have to go try to find an NES pad, <laughs> you know, at a, at a retro gaming place. There aren't that many NES pads out there anymore. Like the number of NES pads out there is limited, right? If we just start opening up and then also the possibility of perhaps moving to Tetris Connected, uh, Tetris Effect Connected and start playing on that platform as well. The reason being for that is because now we're playing on a modern game Enhance, which makes Tetris Effect, has more of a reason to sponsor CTWC, contribute a lot more to the prize pool, and the Tetris company has more reason to uh, basically say we support this event because they're not playing on a version that they're that everybody just has to buy used now, that they can actually you know uh, sell modern versions of on Tetris Effect, or maybe even have the impetus to go and just create a modern version of classic Tetris to sell things with. Because even if they made a modern one right now, everyone would still have to play on the NES, because that's the rules, and they still have to play on the NES pad, because that's the rules, right? And uh, yeah, so Kitaro says maintenance is tough too. Gamepad rollers buy third-party replacement pads, sometimes artificially break them in with poking, cutting holes, etc. Just 
rolling a Sanwa OBS F30 or something is going to hold up a lot longer. Exactly. And so my mindset right now is trying to open up classic Tetris to bigger audiences, mass or mass audiences, and give people the ability to access it and join in the community and have fun and have ways for the Tetris company and games like Enhance, uh, companies like Enhance and the games like Tetris Effect to make extra money to really help uh, grow the scene. I mean, look, CTWC has been running for so long, but CTWC is comparable to like old school FGC, like seriously, back in the Alpha 2 days, right? It is a grassroots effort here. There's not a lot of like, it's not like, you know, CTWC videos have 19 million views on YouTube, but that's not translating into you know, money at the events and stuff. And, you know, and, you know, as much as we do all this stuff for love, you know, you'd like to be able to pay all the guys who are putting in the hard work and doing all this stuff, you know, all this crazy stuff for the thing because it sucks, right? I mean, we're all doing it for love, but at the same time, if you're running CTWC, you look at all these people putting all this blood, sweat, and tears, you'd like to thank them by paying them a little bit, right? <laughs> Right, so Super Famicom says focusing too much on mar focusing too much on marketing to please mainstream is not a good solution in the long run. That will kill some fighting game franchise and betray the original spirit. Yeah, absolutely. There is that argument too. But again, as someone who's been doing the fighting game stuff for thirty years now, I'm sick of it. Honestly, Super Famicom, I think there's a way to maintain both. I think there is a way to maintain both. The fact that people consider trying to grow and become more palpable to mainstream and then losing the old spirit is diametrically opposed to each other, I think is false, right? Mike Lee Story says Strive and SF6 is proof of that. You don't even have to go that far, Melee. Right? I mean, like, Melee is about as mainstream and simple to play as possible and approachable to everyone on the planet. But then there's just this ridiculous high-level Melee scene out there, and they've been maintaining it forever. Sure, they don't have the Nintendo backing, which sucks, right? But if Nintendo backed Melee, do you think the Melee scene would be like, Get out of here, Nintendo! Take your money with you! We need to maintain integrity or grassroots! Or you think they would be like, Fucking finally! Oh my god! Like, please support us, Nintendo! Please! Let us stream! Let us run these events! Give us prize money, please! <laughs> right? I mean, that's the thing. And it really just depends on how involved you are with it, right? So again, a lot of people out there, yes, absolutely, you're just gonna be like, no, you know what? Get the hell out of here with your money i want my grassroots but seriously for someone like me i can literally tell you i'm sick of it even back in the day we were always like if you watch one of those uh trailers for uh bang the machine that's actually on youtube there's that scene where vi is just sitting there like watching the japanese tournament they're like you see this they're actually running these in stadiums and shit like can you imagine if we could do that here in the states and it just and he just like cuts off and he's just sitting there like not saying anything more anymore like he's just thinking man if only if only why do you think someone like vi works so hard at level up why do you think someone 
someone like Arturo is so hell-bent on trying to like create this optimal thing and why he was so hell-bent on working with Macharino. Because a lot of us who have been in the scene for this long, who did it for love, we're kind of sick of it, <laughs> okay? Like, I get it. If you're newer to the scene and you haven't been in it for 30 some odd years like we have, you're like, I still do it for love. We don't need the money. No, fuck that. I, the, give us the money, dude. Like, seriously. Like, as long as we are the ones that get to stay in charge. The scary part was when something like MLG tried to come in and take over the FGC and run it their way with continuation rules and all this other stuff. That's what's scary. But when you have something like like Red Bull coming in here and all they do is just hire everybody who's already involved and says, run it your own way. Even when Sony PlayStation took over Evo, you know, with RTS actually buying out Evo, does Evo feel very different? No, because they let Rick run Evo the way We've always run EVO. In fact, it wasn't even Sony or RTS that said Smash couldn't be at EVO. It was literally Nintendo that said, no, we're not putting Smash at EVO. <laughs> like, so they were letting us run things the way we always have been. And EVO hasn't felt drastically different right? It still feels grassroots in a lot of ways, right? You go walk into the ballroom, we're all still playing on fold-out tables. <laughs> There's no fancy glowing boots anywhere, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, the stream is a little bit different. Sure, there's more ads, but again, like, I don't know what people want. Like, I, I don't know what people want. Like, you have to have the ads you know, because the Evo's got to make some money because RTS bought it, Sony bought it, but they're not going to hold on to a sinking ship. May I just remind you that, uh, what was it? Epic just, uh, killed. What was it? What was that? It was a music service, right? Um, Epic purchased a music service, a band camp, and they just, they just literally murdered band camp right? Like anybody who purchases anything can murder it in an instant. Microsoft just purchased Activision. You think that Microsoft, if Activision, they were just like, eh, whatever, and they just murdered it? Like, dude, it's like a second notice, right? Like, at a second notice, you can do these kind of things, right? So these things have to be able to sustain themselves. Otherwise, they will be taken out. And so, yeah, the ads are a bigger, are, are, a less, are, are an evil that we have to maintain right now to the point where we get enough popularity and views so that we don't need as many ads anymore if we have better sponsors. If we have, here's the Chipotle playback. Here's the Chipotle replay. Now let's head over to the, uh, let's head over to the Cup Noodles analyst desk. You know, oh, what a noodly game, you know, like, you know, like, that's the thing, right? Like, you know, as a commentator, does it suck to have to like say some of these things sometimes? Yeah, it does. But you know that it's part of that. And again, do we, want, do we want to avoid all that and just stay grassroots? I mean, again, where's all the events right now? Where are all the events? Why is there no SoCal regionals? Why is there no NorCal regionals? Why was Big E threatening to stop running four majors a year? Where's final round, right? <laughs> These guys aren't going to be doing this forever. They're getting older and new people aren't coming in and taking over because it's there there's no reason to so we want to grow the scene 
And so uh, obviously we veered very far off topic here, but you know, the question comes down to is, do we want to modify these games so that we can get broader appeal? Right. So some of these games are doing it the right way. Broader appeal is not just get everybody to play it and make it easier to play. It's also visuals. Right. Street Fighter six is I mean, look at Street Fighter five. Look at Street Fighter six. I mean, I've already complained about this, about Street Fighter V, even when Street Fighter V was the biggest thing. I said that the game is probably the worst fighting game in terms of presentation in Street Fighter history, right? Like, it was so bare bones. We had no exciting, crazy things. Even when you activated Ultras the first time we saw that, and you saw the camera angle changes, everyone was like, oh my god! And then by the time we got to Street Fighter V, they innovated no presentation, and Street Fighter VI, they added the counter DIs. There's all this flashing, you know, colors. The character animations are beautiful. The walking into the ring, the faces, you know, all these things. They did so much, and it's more enjoyable to the audience. So uh, clearly, there's a lot of responsibility on the devs to actually, you know, improve watchability of these fighting games. Strive did the same thing. The giant counter, the combo meters, which everyone said was so distracting, and now nobody sees them. Like, do you guys still see them? <laughs> I don't see them anymore unless I actively try to look for them. Like, Jesus, that count combo counter is big. But like when I'm actually playing the game, I literally never see it anymore, right? And so like, obviously the devs have a lot of responsibilities that, but I feel like the players have a little bit of responsibility on that as well into not trying to be so stuck on legacy stuff. <laughs> yeah kof mvci both of them uh necromancy black looks so bad that on launch nobody could bother to play them i mean dragon ball fighters right look i i am of the opinion that when dragon ball fighters first showed up it wasn't that good of a fighting game i played it and i I didn't enjoy it. I personally didn't enjoy it. I will go on record to say that. And so I didn't keep up with the game. But the game was so goddamn beautiful. And it just pulled in audiences like crazy, right? Presentation is a huge, huge, huge thing. And it basically sunk MVCI. <laughs> Because they got announced at the same E3. And you saw Chun Face. And then you saw Dragon Ball. And you're like... Like, seriously, like, you don't, like, you would use the guy looking behind him at the other girl meme, except I don't even think we held hands with MVCI long enough to even generate that meme, you know? Like, that girl wouldn't even just be in the picture. He's already looking at Drago. Like, she would have had to been in the front, and he's already looking at her. Like, we just, we don't even need, you know? <laughs> it wouldn't have lasted that long. Let's just put it that way. Um, so basically, you know, uh, but it's not just about presentation and training tools and in-game training tools and stuff like that, but it does have to be that players can actually play the game more easily. It's funny on, on Twitter, I once complained about drive impact and I was like, God, I just kind of wish that they would get rid of drive impact. I hate them. And then I admitted this is a salty tweet. So obviously don't pay attention to it. But everybody paid attention to it. But the funny thing is a lot of people were like, no, don't get, a drive, get rid of Drive Impact. I love Drive Impact. And you know, most of the people who said that were intermediate players, <laughs> right? And so like, there's this mechanic in the game that is actually helping a lot of these intermediate players because it gives them 
act something to do. Right, Necromancy Black? I made a salty tweet? What? No way. No way. I'm the happiest, nicest guy ever. <laughs> um, but yeah, like literally... Uh, a lot of intermediate players still love having drive impact because it gives them something to do and it feels powerful. And when they absorb things and hit people, they get to land their combos that they practice, etc., etc. It's a really powerful uh, intake mechanic out there, which is also what I've said about parries in Third Strike, right? Everybody and their mother tries to parry everything. If you don't know anything about Third Strike back in the day, when someone threw a fireball at you, you parried that fireball. <laughs> and everyone tries to parry on wake up. And every top third strike player will tell you, guess parrying on wake up is a horrible idea. But you know what every intermediate player will do forever? Guess parry <laughs> forever and ever and ever and ever. And so that's what we see a lot of, right? We see a lot of people doing these guest parries uh, in that situation. Why? Because it's endorphins. It's fun. It makes you, it gets you excited. And when you parry, you get to hit the guy and combo them or do whatever. And it's like intake mechanics are so important. And Guilty Gear Strive and Street Fighter VI are full of them. So a lot of people really, really enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> salty tweets can confirm when james had nightly teppin tweets he would say something positive about it each night exactly i had nothing but good things to say about teppin oh jesus christ oh man but uh basically this is this is um this is important and so as long as we try to maintain these legacy things that people want to maintain out of tradition because we don't want to lose the the legacy skills you know i usually present things that i try not to be on one side or the other because i just like to present conversation and i want to know what you guys think but i'm actually of the point place i'm actually in the position that i think preserving legacy stuff isn't necessarily what we should do like i think it's overrated that's why i don't rail on modern controls do i hate fighting modern players not really but do they get to do things that i they probably couldn't had they not had modern controls sure but then i'm like okay right modern controls don't test their reaction to this just play prediction smart etc etc because when you play against normal players sometimes you count on them not being ready for stuff and you get to do things to them but then when you're fighting against modern players uh, with the right mentality, you'll play just a very solid fundamental game where react their reaction time, you've basically removed their ability to, to beat you just by having good reactions, right? You play a different style, a different mindset. So I don't even mind modern controls. Like I don't want to get rid of modern controls. I think it's cool that it allows some people to jump in the game, right? Like, I think that's really, really cool. And yeah, Forrest says, and he's very right about this, but I'm a Street Fighter player, and each Street Fighter is vastly different. And I'm going to tell you right now, Street Fighter is better off for it, right? Street Fighter is extremely better off for it. Because you know why we're, it's better off for it? Because everybody is still playing Super Turbo. Everybody is still playing Third Strike. Some parts of the world, everybody's still playing Champion Edition. Everybody, a lot of people are still playing Alpha 2. A lot of people are still playing Alpha 3. And you know what? 
instead of having one series that just changes, you know, fairly differently between each iteration, we literally have like seven or eight different street fighters that a lot of different people can enjoy for very different reasons. And I think that that's really, really good. So the changes from Street Fighter V to Street Fighter Four to Five were good? Yeah, absolutely. Street Fighter V, if you guys want to understand, has brought in a giant group of players that we did not have before. Street Fighter has always been a heart game. Always been a heart game. Every version has been a heart game. It has never been a mind game. Street Fighter V was the first mind game where the game told you what was going on. It was about studying. It was about understanding frame data. There are a lot of players who could not play old Street Fighter games that when they played Street Fighter V, they, they, because their brain was more mathematical, they'd be like, oh, I get it. It's their turn. I can't do anything. This is the guessing game. They brought back, they brought in a ton of Street Fighter players that never played Street Fighter before. And there's a lot of Street Fighter players, five players out there who don't like six because six moved away from that a little bit, right? Uh, Street Fighter Six, however, did a good job melting the two together. But Street Fighter Five clearly brought in a huge, a huge slew of players that we did not have before. So absolutely, Street Fighter Five was a wonderful, wonderful change because it introduced fighting games to a group of people. It introduced Street Fighter to a bunch of people that didn't play fighting games before. So that's the thing. So. Uh, Yes, Street Fighter's better off for having different versions. And I think Strive right now is better off having that. And in fact, the fact that Arxis went back and added rollback to Exert while Strive was in its second year <laughs> and like literally Daisuke's like, yes, I changed the game. <laughs> yes, I know a lot of you are mad. Here, let me help you keep playing the version that you guys like was still, to me, the greatest thing that a fighting dev has ever done. They put rollback in the previous version of the game while the current version of the game was still brand new. And you know what? It didn't hurt Strive sales. <laughs> it didn't hurt Strive's entry numbers. It did nothing to Strive. And do you see? This is exactly what I mean. If you like the old version, go play the old version. Let everybody play the new version. Let everybody play the new version. Let them enjoy their game. There are a lot of great players that we are meeting now thanks to Strive, right? A lot of these great players who are top players in Strive, they're new to, Stri they're new to the Guilty Gear franchise because of Strive. And now Guilty Gear is going to be on their radar, so whenever Guilty Gear... Uh, very victory, vastly, very vastly victory comes out, you know, like then they will still have their eyes on Strive. More people will have their eyes on Strive, be I mean, on, on Guilty Gear, very vastly victory because like uh, very vastly versus victory uh, because the, so many people played Strive, right? Strive has now opened up the door to a lot of people playing Guilty Gear, and now people are going to pay more attention to it. And that's a win overall. 
And this is why I, 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 for me, you know, trying to fight against this, try to maintain this legacy thing. These people arguing that people playing modern controls on Street Fighter 6 are babies because they can't learn the new. Have you actually tried modern controls? Like I tried to do Zangief's combo of like, yeah, it was like light kick, drive rush, low jab, down forward, medium into super. And it was impossible on modern controls. It was so hard to do on modern controls. Like, I, okay, I have to remember to shift this button, to hit this button, to get the light kick, and then dash cancel drive button with this drive rush button. And then I got to make sure I hold this. And then it's this direction for the suit. Dude, like it was freaking, dude. So look, it's everything is easier to us when we're used to it, right? And so a lot of modern players, yeah, it's going to be easier for them because they learned it. But that's the thing. Let them learn it. Let them play that way. You know, we still haven't proved that modern controls is the way to go. So let's take a look at Tetris, for example. Hyper tappers and Daz players cannot beat rollers. They cannot beat rollers. I told you about Huff and Dog Plays Tetris and Pixel Andy and everybody out there. Even Joseph started learning rolling as well, who he, even though he was the premier hyper tapper. All of them had to go to rolling because they can't win if they didn't. That's how powerful rolling is. Modern controls is not that powerful yet. If we haven't seen every single player move to modern, then it's not the best. Now, what's interesting thing is that modern is still also designed, keep in mind, with handicaps, right? So it's still not quite the same thing that David Serlin said. Like Serlin just says, I don't want motions at all, right? But like I said, you could actually see that modern controls are designed with a handicap and you are missing moves and you have a damage handicap. So Capcom clearly in internal testing did probably note that there is some advantages and they're doing their best to try to keep it as possible, right? And yes, self-cool. I agree. Motions are cool. I love motions. It's so much more fun for me to do quarter circle four times two if the super comes out on wake up. But it's like so much more enjoyable uh, to do those kind of things. You know, I really do enjoy doing the motions because I've been doing it for years. It's it's really, really fun. So, again, you know, uh, there are definitely a lot of advantages to motion controls, but Capcom is trying their best to make sure it's not the advantage. So in other words, if it was just six normal buttons and then a special move button on the side, like if they just turned it into like an eight or a 10 button game or something like that, then we're, then we're talking about a situation where maybe it's a little too strong. Uh, but as it is right now, it's, 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 fairly balanced and we haven't seen modern dominate yet so there is no evidence out there that modern is broken right uh and yeah i mean i had someone in my show you can scrimmage tournament one time literally say he's like i can't play fighting games anymore because i have arthritis in my hands and now he's playing street fighter 6 with modern controls he said this is the first time I've been able to play fighting games in like 10 years or five years or whatever it was he said. So there's kind of like kind of nice. 
<laughs> yeah, so yeah, like Kevin Mati says, a big part of the implementation of modern controls is not to completely invalidate classic controls. Exactly. It wasn't their goal. They're not trying to replace it. They're trying to make sure there's advantage both ways, right? Uh, see, Baron Spaghetti, see, that's the thing. It's like I actually still like mush mashing button special moves. I miss them horribly because they were a different kind of move and I really, really miss him. They're a way to do charge moves without having charge, but most mass special moves could be intentionally really strong because you can't just bust it out while walking. <laughs> So there was this really, really smart idea that you could make those moves really, really good because you can't just walk and do them. You had to hide them behind things and stuff. And like there was this really interesting balance uh, concept with button mashing moves. And I really missed that. I really had liked that. I really liked those. But of course, they just don't work with modern controls because if you balance them around the fact that you can't do them instantly and then in modern controls you could do them instantly, well, then we have a problem. <laughs> we would have a problem. So, um, yeah, exactly. Like Honda, like his hand slap, Honda's hand slap in ST was super busted. But the fact that you had to sit there and see him with buttons before he could just do it at any time is what made it balanced you know you had to commit to it sometimes so even when they started mashing if you jumped that was it they would come out with it and get killed etc etc so there's a lot of really cool ideas tied to button mashing moves so i don't think that the i don't think it's a overall uh, objective feeling that we're better off without them I, I i personally miss them a lot um but yeah, balancing move. I, I hate the idea of making moves more powerful while balancing them with stupid inputs. So I mean, do you hate Electric Wing Godfist, Necromancy Black? <laughs> do you hate Electric Wing Godfist? Right? Like, uh, if SPD Motion was a DP, we would have some serious issues and stuff like that. Yeah, Grand Blue is an interesting way of doing it, and they took it away. <laughs> They're taking it away from Rising. <laughs> going to be the exact same thing it's going to be exact same thing okay so necromancy black you do hate electric wing godfist okay there you go so just want to make sure you're consistent that's all that's all the thing is uh motion controls for specials were intentionally difficult as a special was a reward by making it simple the special moves are less special and just a way to extend combos right there is that feeling as well right special moves had this cool feeling that you had to do something special to do it. It was like a martial arts technique. It was like how I always said the reason why Guitar Hero was better than Guitar Freaks was because they've put five buttons and forced your hand to move up and down so that it felt more like you were doing chords and you had to lose the position of your hands. Guitar Freaks was done for a little more simplicity so that you could keep your three fingers on the same three buttons the entire time. But literally adding a fifth button so that your hand had to move up and down so you had to let go and go to different places is what made Guitar Hero 
I feel like catch on so well because it felt like a skill that you had to learn, like an instrument. So in the same way that it works that way for a rhythm game, I felt like special move motions was similar to emulating a martial arts kind of thing. You had to practice, you had to learn technique. The special move felt powerful because you had to do something different for it. You had to do more than just hit a button. And that was one of the cool things about special moves. And that's where I stand. But of course, I'm old school. So of course, I'm going to think this way. So yeah, see, exactly. The new Guitar Freaks uses the five button layout to some extent, right? Like Guitar was said. Um, right. Guitar Freaks is a, more, a lot more about rhythmic complexity. Yep. Uh, S and... I forgot to turn on my cat auto feeder. <laughs> cat auto feeder is still going here. Uh, but in any case, uh, you know, I like having the extra, uh, the, the, the extra execution, right, of the motions. But even having said that, even being an old school player, I'm not going to adhere to my old school mentality and be like, modern sucks you know, down with modern, like that's not how I'm going to approach it because if we have a way to add more people to play fighting games, I just don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I literally just think that that's fine. And uh, that's kind of the whole point of this conversation is that I feel like we're in a, uh, we're in a stage right now where we have to start thinking about growing things. Daigo once said on his stream that he thinks fighting games are outdated. And uh, it was interesting because right before he said that, I was thinking to myself, I think fighting games are outdated. <laughs> I think we stick onto a lot of things that we don't need to. And I think that there's a lot of cool things that we can change, right? I mean, like something as simple as why is there only one animation for every super in DNF duel? Why? Why? Why not present like... 10 different angles for the same super. If you don't want it to get that complicated, just change the camera angles, have 10 different ones, and maybe have them change camera angles every single time and randomize between them. So at least it looks unique every time we see it. Like there's 10 camera changes and it can jump between any one of them and show us a cool angle for the super, right? <laughs> Why do we not scroll the screen a little bit farther when we get into the corners? Why don't we draw actual walls on the stages and scroll the screen a little bit more instead of having 50% of the screen be completely useless to viewers? Why not keep the action a little more centered, you know, than we normally do? There's a lot of things that we have that I think, uh, uh, oh yeah, there are a lot of cheats hidden in those angles, for sure. But you can work with it. You can definitely work with it. There's no reason not to try. <laughs> There's no reason not to try is the best way to put it. So at the same time, the anti-modern sentiment makes a lot of sense, says SP Patrick. Uh, the FGC has always been about the grind and not about cutting corners. Anything resembling shortcuts or training wheels were shunned on site. Now suddenly the FGC to be all welcoming and inclusive over modern controls. I'm not sure what Capcom expected. And again, my thought is that I don't think modern makes it that much easier. I think what a lot of people are seeing modern do is that they, they aren't taking into account that it's still kind of hard to do. Uh, yes, the special moves and stuff like that are a little bit easier to do, but got all the weird hoops that you got to make sure that you're 
holding the controller in the right direction and sometimes you gotta shift for this button and do all this stuff it's just like really weird <laughs> very very weird anyways but it is easier to start for sure for sure um do you know if we're getting new players outside of japan most people's mindsets to a fighting game is i don't know how to play and people are telling me telling them modern controls is easy mode yeah i mean if that's a way to get them to play sure and yeah, a lot of people have trouble with motions and if it helps them get in there and you know what, there's still a benefit to doing the motions even while in modern. So some people may eventually start learning to do special moves in combos with the full motion so they get the 100% damage and that might actually help them move to being a classic player in the end anyway. Right. If they get good at that, but as long as they have that little handhold to help them get in there, I don't think it's a terrible thing. That's the thing, right? Yeah, perfect flash knuckle timing is not any easier in modern. It's a good example right there. Uh, yeah, it's better than <laughs> easy operation for sure. Uh, so modern isn't easy, but it is bringing a ton of new players in the U.S. and Japan. I'm sure it is a lot of other places too. Uh, if anyone's played cross-tag battle, those controls are made universal to the most basic versions rather than the same as the game the character's it came from and it's fine yeah i mean yuzu riha that's the first time i've ever been able to use that character <laughs> was in place blue cross tag battle <laughs> oh man uh having the button versus motion trade-off makes a lot of sense yeah i agree i wonder what the thinking was for grand blue giving 100 percent damage for the modern controls actually they've always had the 100 percent damage it's just that the cooldowns were different so if you did the instant special move, it would take longer for you to be able to get access to the special move again than if you did it with the motion. But now the cooldowns are exactly the same. It's just what it is at this point in time. So a lot of streamers that have never touched fighting games are all trying out SF6 and many of them talk about the reason why is because of modern controls. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it had decreased damage on supers based on range. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, okay. Uh, but yeah, like that's the thing, right? So Street Fighter Six is doing a lot of great things to get new players in, right? So people are talking about the CR Cup and what it did and Steam sales, etc., etc. Yeah, and a lot of that is going to be that. I just talked to a friend, you know, who who brought his little girl uh, to the tournament, uh, to the CTWC tournament. We were talking fighting games, and I don't remember if he brought his daughter or if he was just talking about his daughter, but basically he said, yeah, it's like she's loving dynamic controls. She can learn fighting games with, play fighting games with me because of dynamic controls. And as silly as dynamic controls feels like it is, because all you're doing is executing an AI, uh, but like you get them hooked, you get them interested. And you know, if you get someone interested in something, the effort to learn the harder stuff is that much better. But if you're like, hey, learn this fighting game, now learn how to do quarter circle forward times two after a DP by blending the motions together. And you saw how everybody in Max's chat was like, whoa, you could do that? Like, I didn't know you could blend the motions together. Like, there's so many things that we take advantage of that we take for granted that a lot of people don't teach out there. And it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> And we probably don't realize how difficult a lot of that is. So, uh, oh, the Ludwig tournament. Yeah, the Street Fighter and Tetris content. Uh, I probably, uh, Mike Lee says, I probably uh, follow more JP streamers than US streamers. And a lot of them who are primarily LOL big three FPS games picked up Street Fighter 6. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, the quarter circle four times two was designed to be a more difficult thing to execute. In Super Turbo, they, in fact, they made it even harder in Super Turbo, but they just didn't want everybody just to sit there and just to be able to do low forward in the Super. So uh, in Super Turbo, they made it specifically hard that it was really hard to do that. Obviously, as a person who's played Super Turbo forever, it's not that bad for me now, but for a lot of people out there, doing low forward in the Super, as much as you could do it in other games, you go to Super Turbo and you're like, why can't I do low forward in the Super? It just doesn't work. The same techniques don't work. They made it harder because they just didn't want it to be super easily. Uh, technically, comboing in the supers and ST were glitches. Yeah, in a way, because it even worked on moves that couldn't be canceled into special moves. Uh, I tried to learn. I tried to teach uh, 3S to my sister. Her brain melted. We taking for granted our skills we learned over the years. Yeah, uh, Kevin Mati says, as a self-admitted advocate for modern controls, I really don't like dynamic controls. I think they hurt potential new players more than they help, but that's just me. I do agree with you, Kevin Mati. Like, I do think that there's definitely downsides to it, but I think it's... I think it's not supposed to be a training wheels thing. I think it's supposed to be designed for literally Thanksgiving dinners and hi, my kid is five years old. Like, I, I think that that's what they're for, honestly. And remember, when kids are young, they absorb things like sponges, right? So them understanding why dynamic controls and modern controls and classic controls are different will come a lot faster to them than 30-year-old people. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going it's gonna happen so <laughs> oh man um so yeah uh i do think that you know we shouldn't be so curmudgeon about things i think it is time to change things that's why i made the suggestion about changes to the electric wing god fist but uh, the electric wind god fist but of course i am not a tekken player i'm not part of the tekken community so anything i say about tekken is going to be shot down with the quickness because literally one year before the cross-up came out i was like what if someone makes a controller with left right on the right side and then they could do electrics super easy and everyone's like ah don't worry that'll never happen and you know what we won't adopt it anyway Tekken players will reject it and I was like but what if it happens they're like shut up James get out of here and then a year later the cross-up came out and I literally quote retweeted my own tweet and I was like uh-huh and everybody in the Tekken community is like what do we do what do we do when a year ago I was like we should think about this now so that when it happens, we already know how to handle it. And everyone's like, it's not going to be a problem, dude. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> and so, like, you know, I, I, I just, I, <laughs> I'm not in a position that I can make suggestions to Tekken. <laughs> I don't have a, 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 an ability to make suggestions for Tekken. But my point being is that I do feel like, you know, trying to move forward and maybe try to get things a little more mainstream to grow things is, is nice. Again, I've been playing fighting games for 30 plus years now. And frankly, I'm sick and tired of <laughs> grassroots at this point. Grassroots is obviously important. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we should get rid of grassroots. Grassroots is essential to our community and where everything should absolutely start. Support your locals. Grassroots is super important. My point being is that I feel like the grassroots should be the road to help you get to something bigger than that. 
And, you know, we should have a situation where our players are making more for the talent that they are putting on display. The amount of skill that these guys are putting on for us, the Angry Bird and Mena RD and Tokido and Kakeru and Angry Bird and Big Bird and Mr. Crimson, et cetera, et cetera. Like the amount of time and work that they're putting into this, they should be compensated for this. And I'm not, t I'm not talking about, like, let's turn them into fucking NBA celebrities where they have more money than they know what to do with. Just make it so that these mofos can live, man. Come on. <laughs> like, just make it so that these guys can earn enough, you know, by even placing 12th place at a tournament that that's actually worth it for them to travel to that event. <laughs> Right. If we can get to the point where our prize pool pays down to the top 16 or top 32, like actually enough money so that everybody who's in the money makes more money than they spent being at that event. We're all better off for it. <laughs> we're all better off for it. Right. So uh, that's the thing. So. Yeah, exactly. The Chilean twins that play MK when they win Evo, you think they come out of Evo making money? They definitely lost money. <laughs> they definitely lost money at every tournament they've been to that they've won. And they're doing it for pride. But the thing is, that's the thing, is the more money it gets in there, it's not just about, you know, mainstreaming up fighting games. But I want to live in a world where someone from Pakistan or someone from Peru can go up to the, uh, can go up to the, um, the foreign council, you know, consulate or whatever it is that they go to and be like, hi, I need a visa to travel for Evo and have the person on the other side go, oh, shit, good luck. Good luck. Can you win? Are you going to do good? You know, instead of I need to go for Evo, what the hell is an Evo? You may flee our country. No, you can't go. Like the bigger fighting games get, the more opportunities we have to have people travel and we get to see people play and we get to see the kid we don't we get to see the kid from the Dominican Republic who grew up literally with no money now win over $500,000 for being good at Street Fighter and able to help his parents move, able to build a training facility for the other Dominican Republic players and to sponsor Dominican Republic players and have and fly them out to events and stuff like that. Like, that is a story right there. That is a story to tell, you know? Uh, Arslan Ash coming out and being the only Evo two-time winner for Tekken 7, you know, and really putting Pakistan on the map. You know, David always tells that story that years ago, a friend of his was like, I'm from Pakistan. We're really good at Tekken. And David was like, yeah, right, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm sure you guys are. I'm sure you guys are, you know? And then it turns out that, yeah, they're really fucking good at Tekken. <laughs> like, those kind of stories is great, right? And, yeah, so everyone who needs more offline events, problem is who's going to pay for it and run them. Exactly. And that's the thing, right? The more people that watch, the more sponsors we get, the more money that's involved. And, you know, like I said, I always love, I always use Inside the NBA on TNT as the perfect example of this. But we can be mainstream without losing our soul. 
you know, back in the days when it was just like Ernie, Kenny, and Charles, and after a while they added Shaq. Like, all they do is make memes and make fun of each other, talk smack to each other. I mean, they created that whole going fishing meme where all the players are like, tell Charles and Kenny that I'm not going fishing yet. You know, like, that's all they did. And, like, sometimes they would be showing the replays on screen and they're not even talking about replays. You know, <laughs> like, like I love that shit. I think that's, I think we can do that. Like, I we can do it our 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 way right so yeah we need we need ethical money we need so again the reason why i didn't want mlg to take over the fighting game community is because like epic dropping Bandcamp, if you rely on your parents to live they can kick you out of the house but if you actually slowly build up your career so that you buy your home yourself no one can kick you out of the house which is why the ads are a necessary evil for events like Evo and such like that. I am not looking for a company to come in and be like, all right, fighting game, here we go. We're pumping you up. Fighting game community needs to keep doing it on their own by themselves. So I need to keep that. I need to make sure people understand that's where I'm coming from. We need to build this selves, this up ourselves. We have to, that's what we've been doing. That's how we've been doing it. And it's a slow going process, but we have to start making little bits of concessions here and there while still being able to maintain our personality. And again, as long as Rick the Hado is in charge of Evo, I will have at least the, the faith that Evo will be able to maintain that because I trust uh, Rick Thayer very much. I, I trust what he does. He is all about the community. He loves the community. So as long as Rick Thayer is in charge, I think we're good. I think we're good. That is kind of what I want to do, basically. So I think it would also be huge if the FGC had something emerge in the vein of an NFL films. I don't know what that is. Do they just like a documentary group that just goes out there and makes documentaries about the NFL? Because, I mean, um, don't forget, we do have uh, uh, Esteban's stuff, uh, Hold Back to Block. He does a lot of great stuff out there. Uh, it's just it doesn't spread as much as it really, really should, uh, honestly, because he has some great stuff out there. Uh, Gerald Lee also did a lot of great things when he was doing a lot of his content out there. Reversal.gg is doing a lot of good stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, I think Reversal did do a whole thing with Mena. Evo, we had the whole interview with Mena as well. So there's a lot of good ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, Mike Ross and Sienna are doing a great job with that because, again, man, Mike Ross, I mean, there's just, he's just effortlessly appealing. Like, the, he's just somebody. I mean, I know literal people who got into the fighting game community because of Mike Ross, right? Either because they thought he was funny and they wanted to play fighting games or they thought he was really hot and they're like, holy shit. You mean people like this play fighting games? Okay, I'll play fighting games too. I, I may have looked at this wrong, you know, like literally. <laughs> so um, we can do it. There's ways that we can do this, right? Yeah, exactly. Most people are willing to put in the work. It's that the work ends up with your bank account at minus 10K. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, so yeah, again, uh, I, I didn't know Mike Ross before versus Vortex. He's so funny. Dude, he's so effortlessly uh, charming. He's like, you just see him and it's just like, it's so hard. Charismatic is the phrase that I want. It's so 
Like you just can't look at Mike Ross and not just think like, I want to be this guy's best friend. Like that's why everybody who sees Mike Ross wants to play like, hey, Mike, hey, I love your stuff, man. It's just like you just want to be his friend, man. Like you do, <laughs> you know, honestly. So, yeah, he oozes charisma even when he's not trying. Yeah, his streams are great without his cam turned on. Absolutely. So, you know, that's just the thing. And so, you know, we can do this. We can do this in the FGC. Uh, but we have to be careful about trying to hold on to too many legacy things. I know we've gone completely off topic, but in a way it is kind of the same topic because, you know, trying to leave behind things like the Electric Wind Godfist original, you know, inputs, you know, or, you know, trying to maintain all of the crazy things we learned about Strive through Guilty Gear X, XX, and Exerd, you know, might not be the right way to go and especially in the age of emulation where something like fightcade brings us the ability for a vampire savior community to exist and still get new players from people jumping into fightcade and a sailor moon on the snes having a resurgence as well you know we're living in this era where we don't leave behind video games we don't have to leave behind video games before. We had to do it before because you couldn't play it anymore. <laughs> like you just couldn't play it anymore. And even with things like MAME, it wasn't accurate. You would get like uh, arcade inaccurate things happening, you know? And so now we're in an era where Mr. and all these other things are putting in all this work for games preservation. We don't have to maintain legacy because the legacy will always be there for you to play. And again, special shout outs to Arxis for putting rollback netcode into Guilty Gear Exert. Um, Capcom Ultra Street Fighter 4 needs rollback. <clears throat> paging Capcom, paging Capcom. Ultra Street Fighter 4 needs roll rollback. I repeat, Ultra Street Fighter 4 needs rollback. Thank you. <sighs> Like seriously, UMVC3 needs, oh, so UMVC3 is tougher because Marvel, because Marvel, right? Anytime you talk about Marvel versus Capcom, Marvel is there. <laughs> like you, you can't, you can't just, Capcom can't just be like, let's do it. Let's do it because they can't. <laughs> they literally cannot without Marvel going, you may, you may do it now, right? So that's, that's the hard part, uh, honestly. So, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> it'd be nice to see Capcom support the legacy games more. I mean, they tried, they tried to with a lot of the collections, but the collections, unfortunately, just don't succeed well enough because even if their online netcode is good, it's just Fightcade exists and Fightcade has more of a community built into it, right? It has the chat built into it. It has the ability for, you know, people to, to, to communicate a little bit more. And it's a, it's a better hub than what Capcom uh, has. I mean, honestly, if Capcom was smart, they would like buy Fightcade, not buy Fightcade, but like hire the Fightcade guys to create a Capcom only Fightcade and make it so that they can't play it in Fightcade anymore, which would suck for the Fightcade people. But I mean, you know, they, they just, they just gotta, they gotta do more than just coming out with the, with the game like that, basically. So, uh, yeah, see, that's the thing. Capcom keeps making these retro collections and I keep trying to push them. I'm like, dude, come play Vampire Saver. I mean, I went on Vampire Saver to play ranked 
like the week that it came out. And then I was like, man, I'm not getting any matches. And someone checked and they said, hi, on Steam, currently there are four people playing uh, Capcom Collection right now. <laughs> so you're going to run into one of those three guys or nobody else. You know, uh, it was it was unfortunate. So. Uh, yeah, exactly. Community can do it because they have infinite time, basically. <laughs> yeah, Discord fighting games are, are a thing. It's got to be a good way to, 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 to make that better than it is. But in any case, uh, look, the whole point of this is that, you know, we have the ability to grow. We have the ability to change. We can't be stuck on old things. You know, bringing it back to the Tetris stuff. Do I think we should go to Tetris Effect Connected and play Classic on there? I mean, it, it is it is unfair to a lot of people. And then someone would have to, I mean, someone could definitely profit from making NES to, um, to Xbox or PC uh, adapters. They definitely would make a killing off of that single Tetris scene. But it would allow the Tetris company to be more involved. It would allow Enhance to become involved with the CTWC. It would help it grow. And I feel the same thing, right? Strive did it. Strive is proof that it works. We had, Strive had 2,600 entrants at EVO last year. Like, that's the most out of anything not Street Fighter, right? Like, that's the record right there. Uh, and the Street Fighter V record of 5,000 players barely counts because I think most of those entries didn't even end up playing in the tournament um, because after Street Fighter V came out, everybody was so disappointed in the game uh, that a lot of people just didn't even end up playing in their tournament. Uh, ICTEC Classic is a good ramp for players to at least even try the game without getting an old console and CRT or expensive HDMI scaler right out the gate. Exactly. And that's the thing is, and can you imagine if we moved to that platform? Would it suck? Yeah, but then we wouldn't have to worry about maintaining CRTs or old NESs and all these things. And maybe, you know, with Green Tea's work with Enhance and stuff like that, you can... I mean, I think they have it already that the versus mode already has same pieces for both players and stuff like that. But, you know, there's just a lot of like cool things that you could do, uh, you know, with direct conversation with the dev that can actually still modify the game like right there. Like, could you imagine if you're like, hey, can we add a level 39 kill screen? And they'd be like, sure. And then like, you know, they patch that in there or something like that because it's worth it for them because the CTWC's popularity ends up helping them sell more copies of the game. You know, like that's, that's an important thing. Strive has opened up a bunch of eyes to Guilty Gear now. So a lot of people played Strive, even if they don't keep playing it, even if uh, they're new to Guilty Gear. Now a lot more people know who Soul Bad Guy and Kai Kisk and Potemkin and Axel Lowe and everybody knows who Happy Chaos is now. I mean, like, it's actually really, really cool. So... Um, I mean, Tetris is not a game that really needs a tutorial. <laughs> I've always said the brilliance of Tetris is that you sit someone down and don't tell them anything and they put a piece down and immediately they're like, Ooh, like they just already kind of know that it's a problem. <laughs> now what they do need is strategy tutorials, right? Yeah. I think that's kind of what you're thinking. <laughs> So, yeah, CTWC is a different thing because NES Tetris is just absolute, absolute, like, 
it, compared to what you're used to with Tetris these days, it's crazy. It's just, it's absolute madness. And the rotation rules and all these things like that is, it's very, very different and, and stuff like that. So yeah, knowing where to put a well, your basic strategies, things like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Tetris Effect 99 is a battle royale that, that does explain, is that explain why you need one? Dude, Tetris, I don't know what you mean by Tetris, wait. Tetris Effect 99 doesn't exist. There's only a Tetris Effect connected and a Tetris 99. And Tetris 99 is the most amazing battle royale game out there. Oh, the F099 tutorial and load screen tips are good. Yeah, yeah, really good. Uh, in the attract mode, the arcade version of Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo, they have a Dan explain everything. Right, yeah, exactly. Obviously, you can put little things like that in there. And shout outs to Street Fighter 6 for having an attract mode. <laughs> Shout outs to Street Fighter 6 for having an attract mode. Like, I know that means nothing to anybody else out there except the old heads. I fucking love it. I'm so glad they put an attract mode in there. It's so good. I'm so happy, dude. Seriously. Attract mode is a lost art. Yeah, oh yeah, no, that's right. Tetris TGM has a good attract mode explainer. They actually uh, tell a bunch of you how to do things and they show a lot of the crazy rotations that you can do. So the reason why it's called attract mode, Shaq the Great, it is what shows on an arcade cabinet when no one is playing it. Because all it's doing is designed is to attract your attention and get you to play the game. That is what the attract mode is. When no one is playing it, it just shows stuff. And so it can show instructions or just show really cool graphics like the intros for Third Strike or, you know, or like the, you know, the big Ryu in Super Street Fighter 2. You know, it's just there to get you to notice the game and go, what is this? And want to try to play it. Some games will have instructions, etc., etc. So... Uh, <laughs> Savage Rain attract mode was godlike because the scream in it was like five times louder than every other machine for some reason. That was the trick that they did for Killer Instinct too, which by the way was in Hold Black to Block's uh, Killer Instinct documentary, which if you haven't seen, you should watch. You should watch. So, <laughs> But I will tell you this right now, at almost like 90% of the really, really high level Tetris stuff that I have learned always seemed to have been written by a guy named Kitaru. Uh, it was weird. Like I would go and look up like how ST stacking works. It was like by Kitaru. I went to go look up how this, you know, what the difference between Daz and this, it was written by Kitaru. So, you know, there's this dude named Kitaru out there who's like a walking encyclopedia of uh, Tetris out there. And he wrote all this great information on the web out there. So definitely, uh, if you find anything, want to find some good information, look for anything written by a Kitaru or an Alex Kerr. <laughs> um, but yeah, most 90s attract modes are goaded, absolutely. But um, yeah. Like I said, I've gone through so many different topics here. And wow, I've been, this is going to be a long episode. I may have to split this up into pieces somehow, but I don't know how, because this is all just one long discussion, to be honest with you. Uh, I'll have to think about this. <laughs> 
I think it's just going to have to be one really long discussion. But I mean, most of it was all relevant to to the conversation. You know, uh, our legacy skills a little bit overrated at this point. Do we change games to allow new players to jump in here and stuff? Yeah. And as long as that they are designed in a way to be balanced and as long as they are designed in a way that, you know, hopefully they don't overwrite what other people do. I do think that's important. Right. You know, uh, I think that's important to have. So <laughs> I hate down, down inputs as well, Forrest. But if they existed since Street Fighter 2, we wouldn't have a problem with them right now. ASCII art joystick diagrams. Yeah, baby. Yep. Kitaro and, uh, and Jesus and Mary and Barry chain know all about that, dude. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the reasons why, honestly, uh, Barry, that I that I respect Kataru so much is because all the stuff that he does for Tetris, I mean, is honestly similar to kind of like what I used to do for fighting game FAQs. I just wanted to get that information out there. I did it because I wanted people to know so they could get better and they could get stronger and they could understand these things you know, in a way that they wouldn't be able to understand without that kind of information out there. And, you know, it really does take a lot of those kind of people. Uh, another one right now uh, is uh, Infilament. He's another one of those guys right now in the FTC who's super, super important out there, uh, who does a lot of those kind of things. I mean, he wrote the entire KI guide just because he wanted more people to understand KI, you know. And that's how it works. That's that's really how it works. So, uh, any case, uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and call it on this topic here, because I've basically been talking about an hour and a half. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people made money off of my FAQs, SP Patrick, except me, <laughs> except me. <laughs> I know a lot, dude, someone actually showed me saved PDFs of a Brazilian fighting game magazine that literally published my X-Men versus Street Fighter combo FAQ word for word. Like they just copy and pasted it into their magazine and sold the magazine, dude. <laughs> literally, they just sold it. And I was like, really, man? <laughs> I was like, man, uh, man, right? Yeah, exactly. Mike Lee says, oh, yeah, that's why there's that rumor that I went to Brazil and beat everyone's ass in X-Men versus Street Fighter. Maybe. <laughs> oh, that magazine is gone, long gone, Forrest. Oh, man. So, yes, I am a published author. <laughs> well, yep. Uh, a lot of cool things uh, happening in the FGC. Uh, uh, I still haven't had a chance to try MK1 yet. Uh, I'm trying to wait to see if it ever goes on sale because I know someone donated money to me and was like, go get MK1. And I was like, all right. And I just haven't had a chance to, to do that yet. So, um, but uh, also, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I do think, you know, just TLDR summary kind of situation closing thoughts uh, I do think that you know we should move on I think we should be better about uh, 
be more willing to open up and look past a lot of the things. I mean, just to even go beyond legacy skills like an electric wing god fist or like those FD cancels and stuff like that. You know, even going beyond that, you know, just o overlooking old school fighting game ideas, right? Like actually coming up with different ways to do the stuff that we already do in fighting games, coming up with, you know, thinking about what is outdated. What is the reason we keep doing it this way? Is it because we're stuck in the past or is it because this is actually the best way to do it? Like, it's, it's great to look differently at it. And when you actually examine Strive as closely as possible, like I have, uh, because I think about this all the time, that's exactly what Daisuke did. Everything he did in Strive, he was like, do we need the corners to be corners? Because remember, he zooms past the corner sometimes. And it is weird. It's confusing because there's no actual wall there, which makes it a little bit weird. But he's like, should I add the counter thing? Should I add slowdown? If I add this crazy counter delay, does that let people option select thing? If that lets people option select things, how do I fix that? Oh, I make it so that you can cancel moves during the recovery, which you couldn't do before. But that changes the game completely. But you know what? We'll rock with it. Should I add the, should I make the combo counter crazy? Should I make the burst meter weird and small and scroll alongside their health? You know, like he tried a lot of different things and a lot of it didn't work. A lot of it, people were like, no, no. And they fixed a lot of things that were not good, like that horrible burst meter, uh, the original burst meter. So, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm really happy that Daisuke tried to do a lot of different things. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Honestly, I don't think he gets enough credit for trying to do a lot of really sick things with the fighting game. So, uh, yeah, Shay says making FGs is super risky. It's a genre dominated by existing IPs with longtime legacies. Absolutely. So, uh, which is why, like, dude, I, I still want to make my rival schools game, dude, because I know it won't be it won't play anything like old rival schools. But there is one facet of the game that I want to flip team games on their head. And uh, I just think it would be so cool. It's just such a neat idea. Oh, God. I wish I could make rival schools. I talk to them all the time, dude. I always talk to the translators over there. I was like, please let Nakayama and Matsumoto-san, if they ever make a new Rival Schools game, to talk to me, please. Please, please, please. And he's like, okay, I know. I get it, James. This is the seventh time you've told me this already. <laughs> uh, I mean, Project L is still being made, but remember, Riot won't release a game unless they really, really, really think it's in a state that's worthy to their goals. So they will postpone a game until they think it is absolutely ready. So uh, Project L still going, still being developed, and uh, we're getting more information as we go. We got the most information, and finally it was playable uh, at EVO this last year. But as far as we know, still currently under development, still no release dates uh, announced. So... And that's the thing is you don't necessarily have to have the development talents, say, uh, SP Patrick. You just have to have the ideas and someone who can implement it for you. Uh, I theoretically could. 
Like, I mean, honestly, if I sat down on, on, on Unreal and just really started hammering out like a mock-up of my, my, what my rival school's idea would be, it would be kind of interesting. It would be kind of fun. So <laughs> it would be interesting to see how it goes. But, uh, yeah, but again, I, I think, you know, we are in a position where we can actually, you know, try to do different things. And, and again, growing the FGC so that it is more mainstream doesn't have to come at the expense of the grassroots, right? As long as a lot of the same guys, like the old heads like me, can pass down the mentality of fighting games. And, you know, some things that are old school, I don't think we should lose. I never want the FGC to become a, a worship community where we only worship the top players. I always want it to be so that the top players have to start at the beginning of the bracket like everybody else, that everybody has a chance. I want open tournament brackets. Yes, we can have more invitationals, but the open brackets like Evo are always going to be the most important thing. I want the locals to be where people start. I want the community to run most things. I don't want a situation where... A company creates a game, lets the community run a bunch of stuff and then build up the audience and then buys out the community and then takes control of everything. <clears throat> Not that I'm saying that that's ever happened or anything, uh, but, you know, I, I, I want to have the SGC always be a, you know, kind of community that is run by the fans of it that, you know, the games are out. The games exist to benefit the communities out there. And, uh, and then open it up to be something bigger. Because you know what? Basketball is a multi-million dollar sport. And that doesn't stop everybody from going to the courts and shooting hoops, man. And you know what? Yeah, maybe it's not the NBA. But, you know, maybe eventually you travel to New York. And you play at Rucker Park or something like that. Or, you know, you play, uh, like, you get on the viral videos of playing, uh, you know, street ball with other people and stuff. You know, like, there's a lot of different paths that you can go. But it's always going to be the community that keeps playing it, right? And, you know, that that's the goal right there is that you make the sport popular so that people everywhere can benefit from it, honestly. So, um, any case? Uh, I think that's all I have for this topic here. Oh, I have two hours later for this topic here. So uh, let me know what your guys' thoughts are in the chat. Hopefully you did find this discussion very, very interesting. And I hope you guys do enjoy this kind of podcast-like content, uh, you know, where I just talk like this. I may split this up into two videos and do two parts. I know that's not very popular, but we'll see how it goes because uh, I do need to have content for multiple days and stuff like that. So it's just the nature of YouTube content. You need to have content like constantly and that's just how it works. Uh, so we'll see how this goes. But in any case, hope you guys really enjoyed this kind of discussion. Hope you guys like this. Like King J said, we need more FTC podcasts out there. Let people know about this one and let people know that the conversations have been very interesting and it's a fun kind of discussion and that I try my best to present arguments from all sides and be very, very uh, open to discussion and try to approach things from a much older, mature standpoint as well as someone who has been around the block. <laughs> Uh, guitar says very good general stream i say keep the vod solid if you can some people really like the long stream format absolutely absolutely so 
All right, cool. Thank you guys for tuning in. I mean, for those of you are here on Twitch, don't go anywhere. But for those of you on YouTube, thank you guys for watching. Like I said, let me know your thoughts on everything that's been going on uh, that I've been talking about over here. And never forget that the day that this podcast graced your ears was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. Welcome to It Was Tuesday with your host James Chen. I'm here just to answer some viewer questions today. As you can see, I have set up here viewer Q&A. Expected to have a lot more time for that, but I talked about this topic, legacy skills, for a very long time. It was a really interesting discussion. It went down many paths. So if you haven't read this, I know that thing is almost two hours long, but it's a great discussion to put on in the background and stuff and such, uh, and just kind of have a listen during a commute, while working, while working out or something like that. Really a lot of cool discussion going on in that uh, podcast. So please check that out if you get a chance. Should be up on YouTube already. So I'm just going to do a short little Q&A session here, maybe just like 15, 30 minutes of discussion over here. So I'm going to answer questions in the chat. Just make sure you do an at J Chenzor in the chat. Uh, actually, yes, it would be at J Chenzor. I know I'm streaming on Ultra Chen TV, but I am viewing the chat as the uh, logged in as J Chenzor. So if you do uh, an at J Chenzor on there, uh, I'll answer one question that's already in here. Uh, Peter0611 asks, best sweets and desserts at Arby's? I really, really like their apple turnovers because that ice, I, I, I have a sweet tooth. Uh, the older I get, the more of a sweet tooth I have. And I really like that icy frosting thing that they drizzle on top of their apple pies. And I just like apple pies in general. I get apple pies at McDonald's. Dude, Panda Express now has these apple pie egg rolls, which are like way better than they have any right to be. So I'm just a fan of apple pies in general. Uh, do I think Lucia will be back for Street Fighter 6? Asks Squall ADV. No, Kimberly's already there. With Kimberly there, there's zero reason to put Lucia back. Uh, uh, I also want to answer Shaq the Great's question. He says, do you think that Capcom will ever get rid of the World Warriors and Street Fighter? They tried, <laughs> and it didn't go very well. A lot of people are not aware of the fact that Street Fighter 3 was supposed to be completely a brand new cast. At the last second, they added Ryu and Ken because uh, they kind of felt like they needed to tie it to the old franchise. And contrary to what exists now, where everybody loves the Street Fighter 3 characters, nobody liked the Street Fighter 3 characters when Street Fighter 3 first came out. And in fact, a lot of people didn't don't know this, but Street Fighter 3 was very not popular. Street Fighter 3, Second Impact, and Third Strike, by all intents and purposes, were massive bombs. Uh, they were not played at all. They were not popular at all. And uh, at that point in time, nobody was going to arcades. And so they were not successful. And then Street Fighter 4 came out, and they added all the original cast back in, and there was a line around the block 
for the launch event and everybody's like, oh my God, I loved Blanca. He was my favorite character. Oh my God, I loved Guile. He was my favorite character. I think it would be a mistake uh, as you see what happens in every fighting game that they try to add new characters. Here's this person's kid who kind of fights like them because we don't have the parent anymore. And then they always bring back the original character eventually. <laughs> Somehow, no, actually, they didn't die. Uh, it's a reboot. Let's not, you know, dude, just no, no. <laughs> Let's just do that. Uh, Lucia plays nothing like him. Uh, she doesn't play nothing like him. There's a lot of similarities in mentality and concepts uh, for sure. But uh, I mean, they could add Lucia at some point. I just think the chances are very, very low. Um Hamakan Soul says, would love Guile's daughter to be like him and Charlie. So I had a similar one that I really wanted Machin Exol. I, I, to this day, I wanted Jessica to be a playable character in the fighting game. Who's Jessica, you ask? Hagger's daughter and Cody's ex-girlfriend. I wanted Jessica to be in the game and have her do spinning pile drivers and have Hagar's moveset. Because after getting kidnapped in Final Fight, she was like, I'm done with this nonsense. And actually trains up and goes and works out at the gym. And then now she's just like absolute, like she's still like super hot blonde model, but she's just like ripped. And she just runs at you and cool spinning pile drives you and like body slams you and do all this. I think that would be super awesome dude <laughs> that's the story of river city girls basically yeah see there you go there you, like marion and right not in, not in rival schools too you're talking about in double dragon right double dragon basically is what i want but the thing is they're all like like i just want her to actually be a zangief grappler like i want her to stand like this and walk really slowly and like actually like command grab people all over the place like I'd just be hilarious. Like, just give her, like, those crazy uh, moves. Uh, I think that would be... Uh... <laughs> oh, they put Marion in River City Girls, too. Gotcha, gotcha. Right, that's right. I remember they did. That's right. Uh, Jay Chenzor, uh, does the uh, Forrest asks, does the lighting, uh, like, how dark or colorful a game is affect how much you like a game? I mean, given the fact that, you know, I just... I, m I have trouble with Mortal Kombat a lot of times uh, because of how dark it is and that, you know, growing up, I was a much bigger fan of Virtua Fighter over Tekken because Virtua Fighter took place in the day and had blue sky and green backgrounds and stuff like that. And Tekken always seemed to be taking place in volcanoes and at night and in all these dark orange places and stuff. I mean, probably, yeah, probably does make a difference uh, to me. Uh, I like colorful things. I, I, I've always been a fan of colorful things. And Street Fighter VI being a little more colorful definitely lends to that as well. So I, I actually really, really like that. So uh, Shay asks, if you have a Liberty Design, an all-new character for Street Fighter VI, how would that character play? an interesting question if i had an ability to add a character to street fighter 6 one of the things that i've always wanted to do i've always wanted to create characters that mess with the mechanics in the game like if you guys don't know how Skullgirls' infinite prevention system works is uh basically every time if you start a sequence with the same button 
and like chain into the same thing, it counts as an infinite. And so now the opponent can burst. Basically, if you accidentally repeat a sequence, so as long as you keep using different, starting with a different button and chaining into other things, et cetera, et cetera. As long as you can kind of vary it up, you don't trigger the uh, infinite prevention system, which allows the character to burst. I always wanted to create a Skullgirls character that only had three attack buttons with the punches, so you didn't have any choice but to trigger the infinite prevention system all the time, but all of, her, all of the kick buttons were counters that you could chain into and they countered in different ways and I'm not sure how to rectify that. But basically her whole entire game plan was to continue, she had to keep triggering the infinite prevention system, but then she had the ability to chain into counters so that if she predicted your break, so she would be like a combo breaker character. She would be a, a, a counter combo breaker character. Uh, so basically every time she thinks you're gonna burst, she could chain into a counter and then catch your burst and then keep the combo going, kind of thing like that. I love wanting to create characters that mess with mechanics that way. In Street Fighter V, for example, I wanted a character that just was so good at building white damage but had like unblockable overheads that did like 10 damage like not unblockable but just like super fast overheads that did no damage but she was just she or he was just really good at like draining white health off of you so their goal was just to kind of force you to block things and then hit you with a quick 10 damage overhead to drain all of the white health off of your character so like that's kind of the thing that i would like to do so uh uh, in Street Fighter Six, I don't know. Like, I would have to come up with a character who, like, either gets strong when they get burned out or something like that. That would be kind of fascinating. <laughs> I, I, I would probably do something weird like that. Or, or uh, I would just put Sodom in the game and do a redesigned Sodom, honestly, because I really want Sodom back in a fighting game because he needs to be back in a fighting game, like, now. Like, now. Uh, Peter0611 asks waffles or pancakes. He says, I'm hungry and can only think of food-related questions. So the thing that I like about waffles, so that means you hate pancakes? That's an entirely different question, dog. <laughs> still the greatest tweet in the world, dude. Still the greatest tweet in the world, honestly. Oh, God, let me see. Uh, let's see if I could uh, find that picture here. It is still the greatest tweet of all time. This is the one right here. Twitter, the only place where well-articulated sentences still get misinterpreted. You can say, I like pancakes. And somebody will say, so you hate waffles? <laughs> no, bitch. That's a whole new sentence. What the fuck is you talking about? Like, this is, <laughs> welcome to Twitter, dude, seriously. I I have responded to so many people that way where I'm like, I think this, and they're like, so you hate this? And I'm like, dog, I don't hate pancakes, dude. I don't hate waffles, all right? Look, I won't even, like, link the tweet. I'll just tell them that, dude. I'll just tell them that. Um, do I like waffles or pancakes better? I'm not saying this because I'm trying to be uh, diplomatic here, but legit, I they both 
have their strengths. And there are times where I will eat pancakes and it is like the greatest thing in the world. And there are times that I eat waffles and they are the greatest things in the world. Like honestly, like when they are made right, both waffles and pancakes are just absolutely, absolutely ridiculous, dude. Uh, if you live in Southern California, uh, God, what is that place called? Um, the Grove. Yeah, that's what it is. If you have a chance, uh, if you live in Southern California, I will recommend to you at the Grove in Southern California is a restaurant called Dupar's, uh, which is D-U-P-A-R. Uh, some of the best pancakes I've ever had. Like seriously, try to try to go there if you can. Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles is amazing. Uh, there was a place called Ruts that used to make banana pancakes that they don't anymore, which absolutely kills my heart. That made the best banana pancakes in the world. Uh, so the idea, Forrest, honestly, is that you got to make sure you don't overdo the syrup. A lot of times, I mean, uh, he, Tom and Tony and uh, Seth Killian and like Chris Lee and a bunch of us were at a, wa at, a pa at a breakfast place one time and they talked about the pancake theory is that the first bite of a pancake is the greatest thing in the world. And by the time you get like three fourths through the pancake, you're like, never want to eat pancakes again. A lot of that is when you overdo the syrup. So just be careful with the amount of syrup uh, when you eat pancakes. The way that I always do it, the way that I do it to make pancakes last the best because I love syrup. Uh, like my brother barely puts any syrup on his pancakes. He's, he's, he's a maniac, okay? Uh, the way that I do it is I always pour a tiny bit of pancakes on the top of the stack on one spot, cut it out like, you know, like a Pac-Man thing like you do. And then from that point on, I only pour the syrup in the wedge that I've created and I cut the pancakes and I dip the pancakes into the syrup and eat it that way. So the syrup never gets absorbed into the pancake, but you end up eating the syrup first and you get the taste and it's really, really good. So I hate French toast. Yes, I hate, no, French toast is amazing too, honestly, honestly. Uh, yeah, but dipping pancakes into the syrup is the key right there. Uh, that's the key right there. Mr. QJ says, I eat both waffles and pancakes, but I have a dark secret about them whenever I tell people they look at me in horror. <laughs> I don't know what that means, and I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. It's up to you if you want to reveal your dark secret here on stream with everybody reading. You poke holes into them to get them all soggy. Yeah, for sure. There are people out there, Axio, Actio, who love the soggy pancakes. Absolutely. Um, Forrest asked straight up, which game do you like better, UMVC3 or MVC2? I will say UMVC3 because the more of the cast is relevant. And uh, that's mostly the main reason why. Uh, I think more of the cast is relevant. And uh, the game, I feel like, is a little more open than MVC2. MVC2 still has a little bit of restrictions, and some characters are really just not effective anymore uh, as a result. Um, KC Fusion Gamer asks, I had a question earlier. Do you think Xbox might do a resurgence with their fighting game scene, like a new Killer Instinct or a new return of, say, DOA? Well, I don't know if you already heard KC Fusion Gamer but they've already hired Iron Galaxy to make a new update to Killer Instinct. So they're actually updating Killer Instinct already. <laughs> uh, so they're, they're actually coming out with a brand new balance patch uh, for this game. 
and they're like upscaling it so it can be played 4K officially, etc., etc. So, oh, look at this. Mr. QJ says, I eat them both without syrup. Yeah, they get kind of dry. <laughs> they do get kind of dry. So you probably put a lot of butter or powdered sugar or something on them. So yeah, I don't have a pancreas, so I'm a little biased. But give me a light smear of butter on a popping, piping hot pancake and then a little squirt of syrup. Yep. Yep. I agree, Ethereal Llama. There's definitely a good way to work on it as well. So... I haven't eaten pancakes or waffles with syrups in over 25 years. If they're buttered right, they're fine. Yep, that is that works. That works for sure. Uh, you can only watch the same two teams' butt heads so many times before the game goes stale, especially when there's only one character difference between those teams. Yeah, I mean, MVC2 has a lot of great stuff going on in there, and it's always fun to see the underdog teams try to win and stuff, and MVC2 still just has this level of dirtiness to it that, like, oh, God, like... Like, even as dirty as it can get, well, I don't know, modern days audiences probably wouldn't think watching Iron Man infinite everybody to death would be hype anymore either. Uh, like, they were balking at MVC3 at EVO this past year. They were surprised, like, this is the game everyone's talking about? Is it, Does the other person ever get a chance to play? But, you know, back in the day when it was out, we were kind of used to that idea and, you know there is a certain charm to that kind of game. So uh, Louis B asks, is there any other Tetris-like game that you like? I really like uh, Dosun Ganseki Battle, kind of a Street Fighter Tetris on the SNES. Uh, there's a lot of other puzzle games <coughs> <coughs> that I play, but there's nothing that I have to the extent of Tetris because, and I was talking to somebody else about this at uh, CTWC, the genius of Tetris is that there is no, they never had to create a way for you to die outside of the game speeding up. And then it just tops out. Like, it makes sense. Like, every other fighting game, uh, every other puzzle game that gets created, there's always, like, this kind of weird, like, false mechanic to try to take you out. You know what I mean? Or they're, or they're too, like, like, Puyo Puyo, for example, you don't have to do that. Columns, you don't have to do that. But it's just, like, the restrictions and, you know, all these things. Like, I don't know. There's something about Tetris that's just so much more zen to me. <laughs> That feels like uh, that that doesn't exist in a lot of other video games. Uh, F-Zero GX is another one that I feel that way. You know, I've told people many times when I play F-Zero GX, I'll just race on a track in trial mode with no computers and I just drive the track. But the overall experience of F-Zero GX, the visuals, the absolute just onslaught of senses, but also the speed and the precision control you get out of it, and just the absolute music just being so, and the graphic, like everything about F-Zero GX blends into an experience that doesn't exist anywhere else. And I don't get that out of many other video games. Tetris is one of them. I mean, a lot of times when I play Tetris 99 on stream, people are like, how are you talking while you play this game? Like, how are you? And it's just because the game is so zen. It becomes such an instinct. And I love the fact that TGM3 calls themselves Terror Instinct because that describes it so perfectly because you get this kind of like, holy crap, holy crap, it's so fast. But when you're good at Tetris, 
the, the ability for you to play the game and maintain the field and burn in this really inte- intelligent way is oftentimes instinctual and reactive. And it's, it's something that doesn't exist in a lot of other puzzle games. A lot of other puzzle games are too much like, oh, here's this thing. Oh, look at this. You got this random thing and it's really hard to handle with it. But like the way Tetris is designed, especially in modern rules that you can survive at really fast speeds and they tried to make the RNG a little more fair, et cetera, et cetera. There's just this crazy zen that you get out of Tetris that you don't get out of a lot of other uh, puzzle games, honestly. So... <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about that. Um, who is the most broken fighting game character ever made in a game? Uh, if you mean playable characters, do you mean playable characters? Because I know in like the SNES uh, Power yeah, Ivan Ooze, there you go. Mike Lee Story. Yeah, uh, I was just about to say Ivan Ooze from that Power Rangers game was stupid akuma and st is pretty broken as well because literally no character was designed in a way to stop that diagonal air fireball like some characters literally just can't do anything to it uh if he was playable magneto would have been broken in children of the atom uh nakaruru in cvs1 is really close uh honestly uh, even though, like, I don't think she dominated all tournaments. Like, she's clearly just really stupid. Um, yeah, it's skill limited, not gameplay limited Tetris. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, dude, I, I, I still have F-Zero GX. Like, as long as I live. Like, I just said, like, Nintendo, you don't have to make a new F-Zero. Just port F-Zero GX to a new platform so that we can get it in 4K on a 16 by 9 screen and then split screen four players doesn't compromise any graphics. And outside of that, just make it the exact same game. Just upscale it maybe a little bit. Like that's all. And then let us play 30 players online. That's all you need to do. (laughs) That's all you need to do. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ivan Ooze as a specialist, a 100% invisible, invincible, and shoots homing projectiles. That's why Magneto, Children of the Atom, was so broken because he just could go shield, and then you couldn't hit him. And then hypergrab was like literally impossible to escape and was unblockable, and then he just murdered you. Like Children of the Atom, Magneto was so unfairly unbroken. I mean, so unfairly broken, but it's why I loved him. He's just so fun and yeah tanya and mk and mkx leroy and tekken 7 aren't even close to being the most broken characters in fighting games like you guys have no idea how broken some of these old characters were dude you have no vega in super turbo is infinitely more broken than some of those characters dude oh man uh yeah, most of the SNK bosses were broken because they read inputs a lot of the time. So it's like, I touch a button. Oh, okay, now I hit you. <laughs> yeah, uh, so that was one of the problems. But um, yeah, there's a lot of that. So, I mean, the fact that people are saying, God, this matchup is terrible. It's totally 6-4. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? 
four was like completely the like, oh, this match is ah, it's fine. It's totally winnable. It's like six four, dude. It's totally winnable. It's just maybe a slight advantage to one character. Like that's what that's what six four was back in the day. So uh, Jay Trader's probably the oldest person here. Facts about the old, old characters being broken. Their purpose was to drain quarters. Yep. Uh, God. Like, I mean, like, uh, I still remember in X-Men versus Street Fighter, the CPU could cancel normals into neutral. They could just Roman cancel. <laughs> so Saber, Sabertooth, fuck Sabertooth, by the way, would just walk up and sweep into neutral. Like, it was hilarious, dude. The MK computer, if you swept them, they would just throw you. It didn't matter how far away you were. Uh, CPU Zangief just had an invincible sweep. So if you walked up and hit Crouching Roundhouse, the computer Zangief would just sweep you first. Like, it, it, like frame-wise, nowadays, like it, you know it just makes no sense because Ryu and Ken's sweep were super fast. You just walk up and sweep, and Zangief would low sweep, and you just see your kick go right through him, and he'd just kick you. Like, it's kind of dumb, dude. Oh, the, I've heard stories about that War God's last boss, dude. I have heard stories about that character. I've never experienced it. But, I mean, Alpha 2 was the worst for us when it came to computer reading your inputs. If you walked up and pressed any button, they just level one supered you in the face. You would just walk up and go, jab! And you're about to jab. It's like, first frame, and then level one super, and they just shoot you in the face, dude. It was really stupid. <laughs> oh man there was so much yeah like the computer like if you ever did anything remotely close to being a tick throw the computers would just throw you and there's like nothing you could do like literally nothing you can do uh, how, so SP Patrick asks how long do you think it'll be before we finally see classic and modern characters listed individually on tier lists and matchup charts I hope not that lot much longer because honestly it needs to happen I think people are making a mistake that we aren't doing it and that we aren't experimenting with modern enough I really really feel like that we need to have that uh, discussion more we need to have a better understanding of the modern characters because they are like isms they are like uh, grooves they change the character a little bit the thing about it is again they change the characters a lot less than people think especially with tricks like i've been using to get walk-up spds even with classic controllers you know uh, uh, you know one frame spds essentially like there's a lot of good ways to to get around things so uh, Lurker Spine says, do you think Capcom will ever make a modern-only fighter? Uh, I don't know if they have any reason to, but they might. I mean, like, honestly, if they tried to make, for example, Power Stone, like a new Power Stone, but actually make it balanced and competitive kind of thing, I think absolutely. Like, you don't have to make motions. Power Stone had, special, like, one-button special moves before in the past. Like, it just depends on the game. Depends on the on what they want to create out there. You know, I, I think it's totally possible. Uh, Rival Schools would be a good game for Modern, maybe. But again, Exilion, I have the best Rival Schools idea, which I still have not yet revealed to anybody yet because I'm scared that someone's going to steal my idea. So uh, I'm still hoping that Capcom lets me make a new Rival Schools game uh, at some point in time. <laughs> Would be nice to have a real Capcom All-Star game. I mean, they tried to make one, and they trashed it because it just wasn't very good, apparently. It was their first attempt at making a, uh, a 3D fighting game, uh, one of their first attempts. So you can actually look up footage of Capcom All-Stars where, uh, where uh, What's-Her-Face came from, Ingrid came from. Uh, yeah, um, 
So, uh, yeah, the trailers are still out there. Yep, yeah, Capcom Fighting Jam we don't talk about. Uh, for those who miss Power Stone, go play Combat Core, huh? Interesting. Okay, okay. Uh, Kevin Mati says, I wouldn't be surprised if Capcom's Nest Marvel style versus game went full simplified inputs. It could, uh, although now it might feel like it's a little bit too much stepping on the toes of uh, of uh, Project L. Also, Marvel games are kind of known for being execution heavy. So if they made a Capcom versus Capcom and it was more modern inputs, I actually think that could be bad. Like that might make a lot of uh, old school versus players kind of mad. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Peter0611 asks a very interesting question. Majora's Mask or Ocarina of Time? I think Majora's Mask is one of the most artistic and creative games ever made. I love the atmosphere of it. I love how creepy it is. I love that they take video games and turn it into a mechanic. Like, you know, going back in time is essentially dying and starting over again. And I love that they did that. Ocarina of Time is a good game. It's funny, I was just having a conversation with somebody that said that Ocarina of Time really hasn't kind of held up as well as we think it did. It was just, at the time, it was so fresh. But even without that conversation, I still think Ocarina of Time is an amazing game. But Majora's Mask is honestly, like... Like, for me, it's just, like, one of the deepest and, like, compelling, like, really makes you think. And, like I said, I just, I love the creepy vibe of it. I love how, you know, like, nowadays we understand why half the people in the town are like, the moon's not gonna crash into us. It's fine. Like, there's just some, the vibe of it and just, like, the, the way that you had to do it and then having that one arc that you had to manipulate all the way through from beginning to end to get that storyline completed with the with the with the Pikachu mask and uh, I forgot what the characters names were but like I just I love like Majora's Mask to me is still one of the best examples of art so Tetris to me is the most artistic video game ever created because I do not believe like a lot of other people that art and video games has to make you cry or has to tell a compelling story. No, for me, art is about being the best at the medium that you can be to be able to do something that's unique to your medium that cannot be done elsewhere, right? Silent Hill 2 is another great example of art in video games because the way that you determine your ending is so creative and the way that you have to piece together what the storyline is is so creative and you can only do it through a video game like you cannot have made a game like silent hill 2 and have its endings decided in any other medium except a video game and that's like amazing to me right so tetris doesn't exist anywhere else except for that and majora's mask like I said, by taking the concept of video games and turning it on its head and acknowledging the fact that you're playing the video game story-wise by making you essentially die and start over every time and come through. So again, you know, for those of you, spoilers, if you don't want spoilers about a certain game that I'm going to talk about here a little bit, um, it's not even a huge spoiler because you figure it out right away, but Outer Wilds is the spiritual successor to uh, Majora's Mask. And both of those games are just absolutely just beautiful for that reason. 
and again, like I said, it's not even that big of a sport in Outer Wilds because you figure it out in like 22, 21 minutes. You figure out what's going on. So, <laughs> um, uh, can Capcom, do you think Capcom will ever do a 3D fighting game? They have. Uh, Star Gladiators is a 3D fighting game. So they've made 3D fighting games. Although Arika did, was the one that I think made that. I think that was just licensed out. Uh, so if they actually, have they actually themselves made a 3D fighting game with 3D movement? Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually read a lot of those crazy um, Majora's Mask theories, Peter0611. I usually have done it. Some fan theories are fun. The Squall is Dead fan theory was, was really enjoyable. I like this. Even though the Squall is Dead one has been confirmed not true and would actually be kind of stupid, but it's a fun one to read about. It's a fun one to read about. <laughs> Yeah, no, Metal Gear Solid 1, but only had like two specific points that decided your ending. But Silent Hill 2, like the fact that it depends on, I mean, spoilers again. If you don't want to know how Silent Hill 2 d directs your endings, wait till I put up my finger when I stop talking. But mute right now. The fact that Silent Hill 2 determines your ending by how close you keep yourself healed, by how often, how far distance you put yourself away from fake Mary because she doesn't run as fast as you to, you know, if you kept looking at the knife, which had no purpose in the game, but to sit in your inventory, or if you looked at the letter from your dead wife over and over again to determine how much you love your wife, et cetera, et cetera. Like that shit is ridiculous of how to determine an ending in a video game like it's just genius and it worked too by the way because i got one ending because of the way my brain works and a friend got a different ending because of the way his brain worked it was just freaking genius and no other game has ever done that and i freaking love it all right finger up spoilers over there we go so uh how do i feel about 2024 silent hill 2 remake I'm scared, dude. I'm scared. I, God, I hope. I hope they do it well. I hope they do it well. Oh, yeah. It was Metal Gear Solid 2 that had the torture sequence, right? Did Me That's right. Metal Gear Solid 1 had different ways to determine. I forgot what it was now. I forgot how MGS1 did it. For some reason, I thought MGS1 was the, was the torture sequence. Uh, recommend Armored Core 6. Okay. Uh, Forrest says, what is your opinion of those arcade one-up machines? Worth it? Good. The problem with it is, is that they're emulators. And so, uh, if you're okay playing on emulators and I have heard the, of the, I have heard opinions from a lot of people that they are not good emulators. Oh, it was M MGS one with the torture. Okay. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Okay. Uh, but I've heard that the emulators on the one-up cabinets aren't necessarily good. I can't speak to this. This is what a, you know, classic game preserver person that I know says. Uh, but I think for a lot of people, the arcade one-up cabinets do just fine. And they will fulfill exactly what you need uh, for it. So uh, I, I don't know... Uh, I don't know enough about them for me to give a full opinion on them for us. That's just what I've heard. Uh, but again, uh, you know, 
there's a lot of people I know who have them who enjoy them. So, <laughs> uh, I know a lot of people out there who, who enjoy having them. So, yeah, you would have to talk to hardcore MVC2 people to be able to, to determine whether or not that, that arcade one-up machine is good. I am not the right person to ask about uh, how the MVC2 on the arcade one-up is. You might, uh, I mean, Justin, I know, has a bunch of the arcade one-up machines in his home, but I think he also works for them, so I don't know if he could give you a bad opinion on them if he was, uh, I don't know if he's allowed to. So uh, there's probably some other people uh, to talk to about it. So uh, there you go. Um, and that is the last question that I see in the chat. Like I said, I'd probably do half an hour on questions. So uh, I will go ahead and call it here because like I said, I need to start some editing and then I need to get ready for ICFC uh, in a little bit. So uh, I think I will just call it for the stream here today. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. I always appreciate that. So many of you guys are here, regulars here in the chat all the time. I uh, don't think I don't see you guys here every single week, uh, and I appreciate it very much. I'm supposed to do ICFC tonight. Uh, I, I'm tired enough that I don't want to, but if I tell them, hey, I'm not going to do it tonight, it's too late. Uh, so pretty much at this time of day, I've probably com I, I, I have to commit to it, so I will be doing it. So I will see you guys on ICFC. If you guys want to watch the Asian action coming up uh, later on today, I'll probably have to pop a Red Bull. Uh, so, uh, but other than that, thank you guys. And thank you guys for continuing to support my content for those of you here on YouTube as well. Uh, thank you guys for your subs and your likes. And please comment below, ask some questions. And uh, maybe I'll try, I'll try to remember to port some of those questions to future Q&As. Or I'll just answer them straight up in the chat as well. But uh, again, always appreciate you guys supporting my content and everything. And uh, always appreciate everybody, uh, you know, coming in and having a fun conversation with me. So, uh, um, you know, and uh, I know you guys enjoy my content a lot because the day that this content graced your ears was the greatest day of your life. But for me... It was Tuesday.